Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. We welcome you along to Monday's edition of Cork Today. Hoping you all had a lovely, lovely weekend, whatever you got up to. We hope that you enjoyed it. John Paul is taking your calls at 1850 333 103. If there's anything you want to share with us, you can text or WhatsApp your thoughts to 0862 103 103. And I imagine Keith Byrne, a native of Fomoy, now living in the United States of America, had a lovely, lovely family weekend. We heard of course on Friday from his dad uh, Jim that he had been released, well temporary release. He has been held for the last couple of weeks by the US Immigration uh, Department and of course he was under threat and still is under threat of being uh, deported. He had been in the Pike County Correctional Facility in Pennsylvania for the last two weeks and you may have heard him there with Pierce uh, speaking on the news all morning. He, I mean, it was, bless his heart, you couldn't help but feel sorry for him when he, when he spoke about how scared he was, particularly after being thrown into a cell. I mean, this is a man who's never seen the inside of a jail and how frightening that must be to hear him talk about being handcuffed, to hear him talk about being uh, shackled. But it was his I think that, you know, the cuffs and the shackles and all of that, he'd put up with all of that and, and he'd put up with being in, in prison and been thrown into a cell. But when he spoke about being just heartbroken, he said, because of my babies, his three little boys and his wife and his business and his customers and, and everything he's worked so hard for. He just said, you know, the whole thing was just so, so uh, shocking. He had, of course, been denied a visa uh, over these two criminal convictions here in Ireland, two very minor convictions for marijuana, for personal use. He paid the fine. It was something that happened 14 years ago. And by God, is he paying the price uh, for that now. But let's try and look at the positives. He now has this 30 days almost reprise to get working on his case and I'm assuming that probably his lawyers will probably go for some kind of an extension uh, of that and I know he's going to be speaking with his lawyers today and we're going to do our best to try to get uh, Keith and uh, to, to see if we can find some time or that Keith can find some time to have a chat with us. I'd be particularly interested to, to talk to Keith after he's spoken to his lawyers to see if they're giving him any sense or hope that everything will be regularised and that everything will be uh, sorted out. So thinking of Keith Byrne and his family today, but as I say, no doubt he had an absolutely wonderful, wonderful weekend and I could take it a very emotional weekend. And for the children, because particularly the two smaller boys, they're younger. I mean, Ezra, his stepson is, is 13. He probably had some kind of an understanding what was going on. But I imagine for the two smaller ones, it must have been very, very difficult for his wife, Karen, to try to explain why 
when suddenly daddy goes to work one day and suddenly daddy doesn't come home that must have been very very frightening 185333103 coming up on the programme today we're going to hear a call to possibly introduce a national dog DNA register with the hope that it could catch the people who are not cleaning up after their dogs. This is one of those ongoing sagas that we seem to touch on every couple of months on the programme. And, you know, we will regularly get calls in and texts in from people who were out walking or out with their children and somebody ended up walking into dog mess or somebody put a, pushed a pram into dog poo, didn't see it and then ended up bringing it home with them and it ended up all over the carpet or all up the inside of the car. I mean, it's just one of those really, really disgusting things. And actually yesterday afternoon, spent a very pleasant couple of hours out in wonderful uh, uh, Donrail at the park, Donrail Park, walking around and there was lots of people had their dogs uh, with them. Firstly, I have to say all uh, of every, all the dogs that certainly we came across yesterday were all on their leads. You could clearly see that people had their plastic bags with them to clean up after their dogs. I actually saw uh, some families clean, actually doing it, cleaning up after their dogs and then going to the nearest bins. There's bins dotted around the park for people to get rid of their the dog poo in the dog bag, which which is uh, great. But it was it was lovely to see families out enjoying themselves and to see, you know, people bringing their dogs out, but people being responsible about their dogs. I mean, there certainly would be sections of the park where when there's nobody around, you could leave your dog off. But everybody had dogs on leads. There was just one family had come out of an area where imagine they let their dog had a run and the dog ran over to another dog. But it was quickly taken very quickly under control because the other dog was on a lead. Owner of the stray dog, you know, the running dog picked him up very quickly. You know, and it was all nice and relaxed because there was lots of young children uh, around. And I was there with Marsha, my, my daughter who's deaf blind. And I have to say she's afraid of dogs in that it's when a dog suddenly comes upon her. If we're in a situation where there is a dog and I can clearly show her and let her feel the dog and a very calm dog, she's okay for that. But a dog that comes bounding at her, even a very, you know, you can see a playful dog when you're on the beach, it's always a big scare. And a dog comes and particularly if it goes and sort of licks her face or something, it just frightens the life out of her and if you think about it if you are completely blind and your hearing is very limited and out of nowhere something big and furry that you can't work out what it is comes at you you don't know what's going to happen and it all stems back to when she was much younger we were out one day and a little terrier dog ran ran up behind us and nipped the back of her leg and I think ever since then she's just very very fearful of dogs so I'm always very careful when we go somewhere to go for a walk I'm always very alert and conscious of dogs running around for fear that a dog is going is going to come at us or come at her not to attack her but just that it would frighten her so it was great yesterday to see no, so many people out with their dogs and dogs on leads too so well done if you were one of those responsible dog owners that I saw yesterday in lovely Donnerill Park which was packed with people it's a, it's a wonderful wonderful uh, facility in the North Cork uh, area so do we need a national dog DNA register would that for once and for all would that be the way that if there's any dog fouling done that the powers that be can swoop in, take a sample of it, send it off, work out exactly who owns that dog and then you, you get fined. You'll get a letter in the post, a little bit like when you pass the speeding van 
and if you're doing over the set speed limit the fine is in the post to you do the very same to uh, dog owners your thoughts welcomed on that uh, please a Cove man's campaign to get little Nelly canonised little Nelly of the holy God um, we've spoken about her before on the programme and there are people who pray to Little Nelly and have great faith and believe in Little Nelly. I don't know what the Catholic Church's view on Little Nelly is at the moment but anyway we're going to speak with a historian a man from Cove who believes that Little Nelly should be Saint Little Nelly or Saint Nelly and that she should be canonised and there's the various stages you have to go through before you get to the stage where you are finally a saint so we'll, we'll, we'll chat about that on the programme today. We're also going to discuss human trafficking and that's ahead of tomorrow. Tomorrow, Tuesday the 30th of July is World Day Against Human Trafficking. And you kind of think human trafficking goes on in other countries or what little of it is happening in this country is in the sex industry and it isn't a very big problem. It seems we're fooling ourselves if we start to think that human trafficking isn't a big problem in this country because it is and it isn't only in the sex uh, industry and we're going to be talking about it uh, today and we also are going to hear about a West Cork family who have set up a beach cleaning station this is a wonderful wonderful initiative that we became aware of uh, last week and we've invited them to join us on the programme just to talk a little bit about it, how it came about what people can expect if you go to one of the beaches that has this beach cleaning cleaning station and what you can do to clean up your uh, beach and I'm hoping that other areas might follow suit and when people see what a fantastic initiative this is we might have beach cleaning stations at every single station in every single beach in this country which would be absolutely terrific. It is Monday so that means that Annalise Dressel, our nutritional therapist from the Health Hub Times Square in Balancholic will join us. Annalise as always will answer all of your nutritional questions. If you have a question get it in 1850 Pat is looking for other listeners' advice. He was travelling recently on a main road and he ended up behind a funeral cortege. Uh, he couldn't pass it out because it had a continuous white line, but then there was, there was a section of the road where he could have passed out. But he didn't because he was wondering, should you pass out a funeral hearse? Is it disrespectful uh, to do it? And he's wondering, what is the situation if you do get caught behind uh, a funeral? They're going at a very slow pace. There can be a lot of cars uh, behind, but if you get the opportunity to overtake, should you over overtake I would say absolutely no way Pat I would see it as utterly uh, disrespectful because if you think about it if you're behind a funeral cortege and there's yes there'll be the chief mourners and there'll be a lot of other cars it's not going to be for a very long space of time I mean people normally are taken to their local church for the removal and for the mass And then after the Mass, they're taken to their local cemetery to be buried. It isn't going to be very far away. So if they are on a main road or if they are on a country road, wherever it is, okay, there might be a lot of cars behind if the person was, you know, very popular within the community. But really, is it going to delay you that much? I would say, you know, just suck it up kind of thing. I certainly think disrespectful. I would never pass out a funeral hearse with particularly one that's heading to a graveyard or even heading to the church for a removal. And I know I've mentioned this before, often when I'm heading home after the programme, I have to pass a 
St. Gobden Cemetery in Mallow and every now and again there will be a funeral coming coming against me. I always pull in to the side of the road for a couple of minutes just while the hearse and if there's people walking behind the hearse and then the, sort of the main chief mourners cars and then I'll indicate and go out and I do that for a respect uh, level. I certainly remember when we were grow when I was growing up if there was a funeral coming down through the town it, this was in Tipperary now where I lived in Clamel. If, if there was a funeral coming down, you stopped and you blessed yourself and you left the hearse and the chief mourners, those that were walking. And I don't know how many people walk anymore, but every, you'll see it in some towns. You still get people walking behind. But you just, you know, bowed your head, you blessed yourself and you waited for them. Uh, to pass. It's just, it's respect, respect. You know, one day it's going to be us. It's going to be in that situation and you'd like to think that people would be respectful for you. But as to indicating and driving and overtaking a horse, no, Pat, absolutely, I personally wouldn't I think it would be utterly utterly disrespectful. 1850 333 103. A Fermoy residence says, Hi Patricia, the thing about Keith Burns' case. What is all the fuss about? He's done wrong and no matter how much drugs he had, he still had drugs. And aren't we all against drugs? I know I am. So whatever trouble he gets into, it's his own fault, says a Fermoy resident who, can I say, is not a very compassionate person, are you? The guy made a mistake when he was younger. He was in his early 20s. How many of us can hand on heart say that we never made mistakes or we didn't do something in our late teens, early 20s, that certainly when you get into your 30s or 40s, you would never do. And you kind of think, God, what was what was I thinking of? But it was kind of youth. I think you're being a little bit unkind. It's a man who's gone on to build a fine life for himself and his family and he's employing people and he's getting on with his life and he's admitted that he made a mistake. He didn't try to cover it. He didn't try to hide it. When he was trying to regularise his case in the States, he straight away said to them, look, in case this comes up, I'm telling you about it before it comes up. So he's beyond honest in what he has done in trying to sort out the case. So I think, you know, you need a little bit of a bigger heart uh, there. It isn't, uh, life isn't black and white and we all make mistakes and we all have made mistakes. Let he without sin cast the first stone. 1850 333 103. Mary says, Morning Patricia, hope you had a nice weekend. I did. Congratulations to you on Tipperary's win yesterday. What a performance. John McGrath deserved to be sent off and the tip player who punched the Waterford player in the stomach, he should have got the same treatment. No room for that kind of behaviour in any sport, says uh, Mary. And Michael says, Patricia, there can be nothing to compare to that thrill of which hurling produced over two days of skills that the nation and further afield witnessed on Saturday and Sunday. The speed, the accuracy and the determination of all four teams always under pressure from their opponents. Both game, both yesterday and Saturday, all four teams showed extreme hunger for glory. What a credit these lads are to their clubs, their county and indeed the country. With less than 10 minutes to go, any spectator would have put their money on Wexford. But at last, it wasn't to be their hour of glory. A superb Tipperary outfoxed them with a man less to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. What an exciting grand finale we have to look forward to with Tipperary and Kilkenny. Anyone that underestimates Brian Cody makes a massive fatal mistake. His fourth Kilkenny team preparing a master 
tactician and an undiminished hunger for hurling that we have seen over the last 20 years. From competing in 19 All-Ireland semi-finals, he's only lost two. Add in TJ Reid and you have the A-team. And we all love it when their plan comes to action or their plan comes together. Always remember that the credit goes to the man in the arena not the spectator. We wish both teams well and let the best team win. And that's Michael and Castleton Bear. Thank you for that, Michael. And I have to say, it was two fine, fine games of uh, hurling. And it's when you watch hurling and that type of quality of hurling, it has got to be one of the greatest sports in the world. It's just the speed and the excitement of it. I mean, literally, you're, you're nearly holding your breath. It's just, it's a fantastic sport. Uh, it really is. And we wish both teams now, Tipperary and Kilkenny, the best of luck in the All-Ireland final. 1850-333-103. John Paul takes your calls. Text WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. Laura Gelga, RC103. Tarubi Walsh, er Gwinner Denemarkuk, is far in Erin, August today. Is minic a vien she er clarica sport egg sula er on delavish. Is a improved markup done train ali Willie Mullins. Vuig she brish is gavila rossi couple. Vuig she grada markup crave na herein ga or deg. But a on markup tussig e vela cheltenum ain or deg either gavila sakahar agus gavila sashak deg. Gertiuk a er on kade la den vela cheltenum gavila sak deg. August V er Tark Amak Asan Vela. Rugic Ruby Walsh Egunte Kildara Savlin Ne Deg Shak Done. Hussig She Eg Markik Kapel Eg Shak Nina Dish. Buffelador Va E Freshen August Vug She Bern Ille Erin Free Ochdeg Lena Manskull in Ne Deg Noka She. Toshe Postella Gillian August Kahur Inin Again. Le Blur Grilga it's Misha Jack Arosta or Grilskull Hamas Davish Mala. CK as a three Kirkig. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now, according to an article in the East Cork Journal, Sinn Féin Deputy Pat Buckley has called for the establishment of a national dog DNA register in an attempt to end the scourge of dog fouling. Deputy Pat Buckley uh, joins me. Good morning, Chip Pat. Good morning, Patricia. Lovely to hear your voice again. Well, and great to talk to you. Do you know if other countries use a DNA dog register to track down which dog left the mess behind? Well, yeah, funny enough, and and, and pardon the pun here, it's actually in the UK in a place called Barking and Dagenham, (laughs) believe it or not. Yeah. Where the local council there, it's it's, it's a pilot scheme that's going to be run. I suppose the owners of the dogs have to um, volunteer this, but it's, it is the, the only way that we see that we can actually stop the scourge of dog fouling because, I mean, it's it's prevalent everywhere. I mean, it's not just a cork thing. It's all over the country. Absolutely. And my office is totally inundated with complaints of people living in housing estates. We've had the areas in, unfortunately, in the graveyard in Middleton. Yeah. Where I think there was over 60 dog poo bags taken out between two gaps of two um, palm trees. That was we we highlighted that in this program. I mean, I just could not get over how anyone would do that. And it was what annoyed me about that particular story, Pat, was it was owners who were being responsible enough to bring their bags with them to clean up after their dog, 
But then Absolutely. it was the way they disposed of the bags. Yeah, and I mean, look, I, I've had people even on to me this morning via email and Facebook. And some people, you know, were kind of against the issue of kind of DNA testing. And they were saying there should be more emphasis on putting out uh, dog poop bins and stuff. Yeah. But we've done all this, unfortunately, uh, Patricia. In Middleton, a number of years ago, we had, in conjunction with the town council at the time and the Tidy Towns Committee, we did manage to source a number of dog poop bins and we put them on, we said, the Northern Relief Road, which is used by an awful lot of people for walking. But unfortunately, what happened was people were using the dog poop bins, but others were actually, unfortunately, putting household and sanitary products into those bins. And they were being emptied by volunteers. So it it turned into a bigger um, health and safety issue. So those bins had to be removed then. Yeah, yeah. So if you, dog DNA register, would you make it compulsory if you had your way? Well, it's a way to look at it. I mean, most new dogs now have to be microchipped. Yeah. You need a licence. And surely they could uh, amalgamate whatever information is on that microchip to also have, you know, a tracking of DNA. And it might sound, you know, a bit far-fetched, but there was actually a case in Britain where a scientist matched the dog hairs taken from a seized cover found at a murder accused house and they actually tracked the dog to the owner of the person who actually carried out the murder oh five months before that. Yeah, and it's just so amazing what they... Yeah, I think it was Weatherby's uh, DNA laboratories. But it's and amazing what they can do with DNA. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, it is... See, the, the danger about this is, and I did an article uh, many years ago, I actually put it in twice, um, and I had to be polite and the hitting was would you take somebody's crap home with you somebody else's crap home with you and I was trying to highlight the fact of leaving um, dog feces anywhere footpaths and whatever you must remember children going to school will take it in their shoes mm. uh, mothers with buggies take it in back to their house it's absolutely it's, a, it's, a, it's disgusting and I mean it's not everybody that's doing this but I mean the, the worry here is like in the feces, you have, um, what does it call it, the, the roundworm, dog roundworm. Yeah. Which, there's a presence of eggs. And, you know, if that gets into your system, you can get extreme fever. It can actually damage your organs and so on and so forth. So it is a very, very big um, risk. And, I mean, I'd appeal to any dog owner or any animal owner. Like, I mean, let's be responsible here. I mean, we've I've seen it where people that don't even live in an area walk into the area of the dog, they let their dogs go run free on a green area and there's children playing football there. You know? It's it's extremely dangerous and I think this is the only way, if we have to be serious about this, we have to tackle this in the way that we're well, that I was proposing that there has to be some way of tracking the dog poo back to the dog and obviously the dog has registered, has its owner and therefore the owner then is responsible. And a little bit like when you get a fine in the post if you get caught with one of the Gatso speed vans, you'd get a letter in the post saying, your dog fouled such and such an area, here's the fine. We traced it back to your dog. Is that yeah. sort of the theory? Yeah, something, something similar to that, yes, because they like said, I mean, it is a litter, it is litter pollution, so it's surely cover, cover, come under the Litter Pollution Act. Um, and there is big fines there, but the issue there is the litter or dog warden, whichever is there, if they spot an individual with a dog 
the dog does his natural act and the owner refuses to pick that up, then the warden has to go and ask him to pick it up. If they refuse, it's only then they can find him. Whereas if they pick it up, they can walk away. So there has to be another way of making people responsible. That it's not right to let other people take your dog's poop home with them on their shoes or on their clothes and could end up um, getting extremely sick or as I said, worse still, it could be severe damage to work. Yeah, but you, just, you would like to think that people would just be responsible. If you own a pet, you'd be responsible enough to clean up um, a- after them. You've highlighted the small number of fines that have been handed out by the local authority for dog fouling. I mean, as you say, you're inundated in your office. Any time we raise the issue here on this programme, we will get lots of calls and, and texts in. It's just, it's one of those issues that really annoys people and people have a view on it, have an opinion on it, and everybody seems to have a story uh, about it. Why are, we, are there not more fines being handed out if it is a bigger problem as it, 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 as it appears to be? It, I think it's down to resources, number one, Patricia. I mean, if you ask the Cock County Council, they issued over 426, 27, 426 fines last year. Now, as far as I know, I think only 95 of them actually went to court. So I think it's down to resources as well. And I don't think people know there's actually a free phone number where you can actually, you know, if people are not removing the dog feces from public places, that they can be reported to a, a little warden. And there's actually a free phone, so a free phone number on the. I think it's the Cork City. But doesn't the list? But the but but me winging up saying that I'm you know spotting Pat Buckley every day walking yeah. with his dog and he's not cleaning up after it and it's outside my gate every day. The little warden has to catch you and your dog at it and walking away. Exactly, and that's yeah. the issue. Yeah, it's how you you enforce this, and it'll be very very interesting. Um, I I hope to sit down with a little warden and just have you know a, a frank uh, conversation to say look is there an easier way or a better way better way of enforcing this because you know it yourself even when I walk back to my office today I'll always have to look where you're walking I know, I know. you're constantly even, doing it even when you're travelling going from Cork to Dublin when I leave my home in the morning it, my suitcase has wheels in it yeah and, and it's like um it's like it could be like a little assault course the times trying to avoid uh, stuff on the footpath. Yeah, because it's crazy. You get it on a suitcase like that and you're going to drag it everywhere with you uh, yeah. for, for the day. Now, I know you mentioned about the reason that the bins had to be taken out in Middleton and, and then we had last week well, I spoke with Councillor Daniela Toomey who's trying to get the bins uh, put uh, put back in back, or yeah. some of the bins put back in place because unfortunately we have to make it as easy as possible for dog owners in order Absolutely. for them to be yeah. responsible. Yes, it's true, but I mean, unfortunately, I mean, people may not be believe it, but those bins were strategically placed along the walking paths around the area at the time, and it did work. I have to say now, and I have to commend everybody on it, and the volunteers that used to empty those bins, but once other people then started abusing it, um, and I wouldn't even even attempt to tell you what's actually gone into those bins, but it was absolutely disgusting, and due to health and safety reasons, you know, and, and it is, as, and as we discussed last week with with uh, Daniela, that's it's volunteers. It isn't the council empty those bins. They're done by normally your local tidy towns or a community yep. group. Yeah. Yes, it was the tidy towns that were doing it. And yeah. In fairness, some people are trying their best, you know, and it's still open to abuse. It sounds uh, it sounds a bit uh, how would I put it? It's 
just crazy, really. Yeah, I but mean, what? You, but if we've got if we've got people dumping domestic rubbish, we're back again to, and it's it's another issue. Is should the council be back collecting bins, and should we be doing away with bin charges? And that's an, an argument uh, for for another day. Okay, that's listen. Let, let us know how you get on when when you sit down with the litter or the the dog ward and the litter ward. I'd be interested to see if they can come I up with any solutions. But before we let you go, your the, your leader, your Sinn Féin uh, leader, Lou Macdonald, at the weekend calling on the government to take the lead from the front in delivering Irish unity with all that's going on with um, Brexit and the backstop and Boris Johnson saying, you know, the, he doesn't want the backstop. And then to the backstop would be a single island economy, wouldn't it, for Ireland? Absolutely, Patricia. And we in Sinn Féin have always, you know, look for that. It's actually, there's a clause for a unity referendum that's actually in the Good Friday Agreement. So, you know, it's right. Let let the people have their, their say. And I think, um, you know, we've always looked for it. It would certainly benefit the island of Ireland. And we have, over the last probably three, three and a half years, within Sinn Féin, many of our spokespeople have worked with all sections of society, north and south. We've come together. I've done a lot of work with, um, funny enough, it's called the Middletown Project in Armagh, I think it is. Yeah. And it's the only All-Ireland uh, Autism Specialist Unit, which is supported by both governments. So things are working behind the scenes. And certainly I would say, yes, we have to leave from the front. And I would be, I suppose, echoing what our leader, Mary Lou, has said. And I'm looking forward to the engagement. And as I said, we have engaged with many, many voluntary groups and professional sectors, the farming sector in the six counties. So there has been a lot of work done and I, and I hope to God you know that we, we will see it someday. Okay. All right, we leave it there, Pat. Thank you for that. Thank you very and much. And thanks uh, for joining us on the programme. Some reaction, uh, by the way, to Pat and his suggestion for a national dog DNA register in a bid to end the scourge of dog fouling. John O'Donovan in the city. There's a waiting list for CAMS as the Children and Adult Mental Health Services in Cork. We've homeless people right across uh, the city and county. But in the scheme of things, dog poo would not be my number one choice when it comes to those matters. We've more important things to be worried about. Madge says bonkers we've lost the plot if we're calling for DNA testing of dog poo instead we should be upgrading survival check if we have any money to spend that's where it should be spent and a listener doesn't want to name it out that's fine says hi Patricia I'm listening as usual and I feel that on the subject of dog poo yes it is bad around the towns but and I'm sick to, to the teeth and fed up of cleaning up outside my own gate but I feel the cruelty issues around animals would be better dealt with rather than the issue of national dog DNA registers. So, not a huge outpouring in favour of Pat's suggestion. 1850 We're going to take a break and we are back changing topics completely. We're hearing for a call for the canonisation of Little Nelly of the Holy God. Nick Richards, weekday afternoons from 1. C103. Niall, how big a fan of Hall & Oates are you? I'm from Cork. I live in New York and when I saw they were playing down here, I booked my vacation for this. We're from Australia. What do you think of Cork? It's great. We can't understand a word anybody says, but <laughs> it's fantastic. You travel quite a distance to be here. Sydney via Cork. <laughs> were you here the year when the roof blew off. What happened was the bar was closed because the roof blew off. That's something you'd always remember. Join me weekday afternoons from 1C103.
Now, the East Cork Journal are reporting that a Cove man who has spent most of his adult life gathering evidence to support the sainthood cause of Little Nelly Organ. Historian John Flynn joins me to outline how he hopes to bring his cause to the next level. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Mr. I, I, I'm very well. When did you first develop an interest in Little Nelly? Uh, I say it was probably 2013. Uh, I started working on Spike Island and she lived there briefly. So I started kind of chipping away and getting to know the story about this little girl. And I suppose as I got into it, I was kind of amazed that no one kind of, from what happened back in the day, you know. So I kind of went to Waterford. So between Waterford <coughs> uh, and, and Cork, because she's buried in Cork. So I started gathering all this information and then I met people who, you know, obviously people would say that, you know, miracles could be medical, uh, you know, medicine as well but people are kind of saying that they were getting uh, kind of good news that from praying to this little girl but then I also realised that back in the day when she did die that there was miracles happening by the graveside where she was buried first so then they actually exhumed her body uh, I think between 12 and 18 months after she died and to bring her back she actually was for a time and when they actually exhumed her body she was perfect which is said to be a sign of sainthood, isn't it? Yeah, well... I when do the body doesn't <clears throat> decay. Yeah, that's one of the signs of sainthood. Obviously, there's uh, three or four uh, different stages to become a saint, you know, but, I mean, back in the day, Pope Pius X was furry into the idea that this girl was very special. Yeah. That she knew so much about religion at a very young age. She was claiming that, you know, through, <clears throat> you know, statues and so on, that she was communicating with Jesus. She predicted her own death, what day she was going to die and at what time she was going to die. Um, she longed to get her Holy Communion. And, you know, I suppose for Catholics back in the 1900s, the age of communion was a lot higher than it is today. Maybe 10, 11 or 12. Yeah, so, people, yeah people would be unaware of that. It was because of little Nelly was, that younger children were allowed to make their first Holy Communion. You know, I suppose even, you know, doing tours there in Cove, uh, when I do uh, school tours, you know, communion class, the teachers don't even know about this. And they're, they're actually saying, you know, we should be telling the kids that the reason why you're getting your communion at the age you are is because of this little girl. Yeah. So, you know, the Bishop of Cork was called Bishop O'Callaghan at the time. And, uh, you know, he actually investigated and see was there a cause there for her to get Holy Communion at such a young age. You know, she was very sick as well, but... She kind of knew everything about Jesus and knew what the Eucharist was. So there was a decision made that she would get her Holy Communion. So she got her Holy Communion in December 1907. And then eight weeks later, on the 2nd of February 1908, she died. And then sometime after that, Paul Pius said, like he quoted that, he was thinking what I should do about kids, you know, at the age like when Little Nelly died and she got her Holy Communion. He said, look, this, this is the sign I've been waiting for. And he then lowered the age right down. Okay, take me back to the beginning with, with Little Nelly. Just remind listeners of who Little Nelly was. Okay, so uh, Ellen Organ was her name. Uh, she was born in Waterford. Uh, her father was called William uh, and her mother was called Mary uh, Ahern. Now, I think it's it's coming from Mary, the mother. I, I do believe in my research that where this really strong Catholic family came from, she was a devoted Catholic herself, Mary. So the father worked as a labourer in Waterford, uh, wanted a better life for his family, so he joined the British Army down in Waterford and was stationed down in Waterford City there. Sometime after that, his wife 
TB. And it was suggested to him by the military doctor down there that he should transfer to spot in Cork Harbour because the fresh air would be very good for his wife. So he did. But unfortunately, it never worked out. So sometime later, a couple of months only, after they arrived on Spike Island in 1905, uh, the mother died. Now, when the mother died, little Neddy had a disease in the spine, the disease called dental disease, which means that her... You're just moving around there a little bit. Your phone is just breaking up a little bit. Sorry. Uh, um, she a disease of the spine? Had a disease that she was dropped as a child by a babysitter. My belief is that... Yes, but she also had a disease then later on in life in the jaw, and then she got TB as well. I think possibly from the mother because, as you know yourself, it was very contagious. Yeah. So I suppose with little Nelly needing special care, and for some reason which I don't know why, because you know this man is not here to, to, to defend himself or to tell us why, but the father put all the kids into an orphanage. Ah, that would have been very common. Yeah. In, 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 in those days, a man on his own, it would yeah, have been you know, seen. Sometimes on tours, you know, afterwards you get talking to people and so on, and people are kind of saying, God, that man, how could he do that? And I kind of say, Look, it's different times back then. Very different. Very hard. And, and he would have had probably the local parish priest and the nuns oh, and everybody in, and the orphanages are great and the homes are great. Put them in there, they'll, they'll be fine. So, yeah, she, yeah. So, so, so little Nelly ended up in the care of of the Good Shepherd sisters in Sundaswell and Cork herself and her little sister or her older sister Mary the two of them went there I think the two lads went to one went to Passage West and one went to Upton oh, and abandoned <clears throat> so um, when she went to Sundaswell then she became very sick and she was kind of confined to the bed all the time but while she was there she was still saying that she was you know having communications and like I don't want to say on air that the nuns are playing tricks in her because that would be wrong but I felt, I feel that the nuns wanted to believe what was going on here. So, for an example, every day about 10 nuns would go to Mass. <clears throat> uh, purposely, three or four would not receive the Eucharist and it changed every day. And when they came back to visit it, Nelly, she was a bit of a character and she'd be given out saying, why didn't you get your Holy Communion today? So they knew there was something special about this girl. So she was able to predict or able to tell exactly who had received Holy Communion and who didn't exactly and like okay. I don't know have you ever I know it's very direct and it's very dangerous there at the moment where the convent is but <clears throat> for an example Little Nelly's room is uh, on the right hand side and the church in the convent would have been way up and actually down another level so yeah no she couldn't Nelly. she couldn't have seen yeah she could and yeah. she was she and, was bed bound at that stage <clears throat> and I think from then on you know um, I suppose from then on they kind of realised okay like you know there's something special about this little girl so she was still, you know, um, telling stories about God and she just totally was obsessed with Jesus and the Eucharist and, you know, she was kind of saying, like the priests were saying to her, what, what do you think the Eucharist is? And she said, it's Holy God. And if we did give you a Holy Communion, <clears throat> you know, what, what what do you think it would be? She just said, like, Holy God will go on my tongue and down to my heart. She's then claiming that, you know, Statues were, were kind of, you know, I know she was only a little child, but she was claiming that she was having communications through statues and she just knew so much religion. There's nobody could have taught her this because obviously she wasn't in school. And secondly, her mother died at a very young age. And at the age that little Nelly was, she knew so much about religion. It was actually beyond her years. And I think that all kind of said to her then, like, you know, people said, OK, this girl is so special. So a decision was made, as I said, that she gets her Holy Communion and then she dies. Now, I suppose the big thing here is that back in the day when 
she did, um, you know, when there was a decision to exhume her, <clears throat> and she was, you know, perfect. I mean, it states in, 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 in any Catholic religion, uh, you know, I won't say the rules, but one of the conditions they say for sainthood is that if you're, you know, like St. Bernadette, for example, never decomposed, and that happened to little Nelly. There was a decision then to rebury her, and I think, my own personal opinion on my research, I think between Bishop O'Callaghan in Cork dying and Pope Pius the Tenth dying, I think that's why he hit the ground. But I'm so so amazed, like that no one picked up on it. And so, do and do, did many people then in the years after Little Nelly's death, did many people start praying to her for miraculous cures? They did, they did, yeah, especially up in, in Cork. Um, you know, <clears throat> there's a, a big devotion in Cork to her, there's a big devotion in Waterford to her. I do know now that there's a man called Lear Madigan who actually subsequently died afterwards, but he wrote a book in Northern America. And this, I think for me, the big thing here is that when I'm telling the story and when people totally never heard of this girl, they're like, wow, how come no one has, you know, how come the, the church haven't said anything about this? How come? How come this is hidden away? What a story. Yeah, and the, and the fear is that the story, as the older generation die away, who would have remembered growing up hearing about little Nelly, if we don't yeah. keep talking about it, it, the story will go. Like one listener says, I'm in my 60s and hearing about little Nelly of the Holy God this morning takes me right back to my late grandmother. She had great yeah. devotion to her, God rest them all. So a previous generation certainly had a lot of, of devotion. Do you know of any miraculous cures that are attributed to little Nelly? Well, again, I suppose, you know, obviously you might have listeners who, you know, might say something different, like uh, might be medicine, but there is one that I'm allowed to talk about, and I have loads of people, you know, that's part of the research I've done where, you know, I've asked people, you know, what they're saying, and they wrote it down, and they're signed their name, but one of the ones that I know, the, um, Seamus uh, Wheelhin in East Cork Journal, he touched on this during the last week, but one of the t- ones that uh, come to mind is that there was this, um, there was this married couple in Cork, and, you know, they got married <clears throat> and they had their first child. And when the child was born, the child was born and it had some sort of a syndrome. Uh, the child never left the hospital. So the mum and dad were coming home one Friday, you know, just to shower, freshen up. And when they came back in, they were all greeted by consultants and professors and doctors with the bad news that, you know, all we, all you can do is stay with your little child and comfort him. But, you know, he's going to die within the next couple of hours. <clears throat> Now, the father panicked. Uh, he said, you know, he shouldn't have done what he did, but he did it. So, big devotion in our family to Little Nelly. Again, as you said, from generations going back. So, he actually removed his son from the hospital, wrapped him in a blue blanket, and they went up to Little Nelly, followed by his wife, and I think the mother-in-law. And they just put the baby on the grave, he said, and for, you know, he reckons 15, 20 minutes or whatever, they all said prayers came back to the hospital and the child is still alive today. And they are 100% convinced Convinced. it was the intervention of of Little Nelly. Where do you go from here to get Little Nelly on the road to sainthood? I mean, there are various stages to canonisation. Well, I suppose, you know, I have met numerous times with the the former Bishop of Cork, um, John Buckley, who has been very good. And I do know that he set up um, a committee <clears throat> to gather all different information from people that I haven't even met mm-hmm. about their stories. And I do know that report is in the bishop's office. And I think because of, as you probably know, with the new bishop being appointed there a few months ago, 
I think the new bishop hasn't looked at that report yet. That's my understanding of it. And he may know little or nothing about little Nelly. Um, I've touched base with 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 the office, and okay. they've asked me to send in, which I have uh, a kind of like brief email to, about what's going on and what I've been doing. Well done. So I'm hoping well done. to meet up with him. Well done. Uh, the other thing is, last week, you know, obviously I had a, an interview with Seamus on the East Coast Journal, but I also met a man who came all the way down from Dublin, and he's the top press officer for what is probably the biggest Catholic uh, newspaper in the country. So it's called the, uh, the Irish Catholic. Yeah, yeah. It's and on, it's on sale that. at most masses on a Sunday, yeah. yeah so so he, he wants to do a piece, does he? He did. We did a piece last oh, week. Okay. And it's coming out in August. Okay. Um, will, you, will you stay in contact with us and if you get any update or any, because I can see a lot of people are interested, in, including Eileen is saying, there's a song about Little Nelly of Holy God which tells the whole story. It's often played on your Irish shows on C103. Not sure who right, the artist yeah, is, yeah, says Eileen. Okay, I'm over. I will, of course. I mean, I'm over on time. Go, yeah, yeah, go on. Just before I go, just to let people know if they are interested, I will be having interviews with the Bishop and some more media and stuff like that. So I suppose, you know, I'll keep in contact and let you please know. Please do, please do. All right, listen, listen, John. Thank you. And thank you. Thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, local Cove historian uh, John Flynn on his campaign to have Little Nelly of the Holy God on the road to St. Tilda. In the next hour, we're going to be talking in advance of World Day Against Human Trafficking, which happens tomorrow. C103 Anthems. The biggest songs of all time. C103 Anthems. Songs that continue to inspire generations. Songs that continue to inspire generations. Weekday mornings from 9 and evenings at 7. Cork's Greatest Hits. C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your texts and calls coming into the uh, programme a listener says this is on Keith Byrne that I mentioned in the last hour and who is featuring on our news uh, today. Somebody says the best of luck to that man Keith Byrne from Formoy. I hope he will be back with his family full time. Everyone is not perfect. Give him a chance for his family's sake and that's I think reacting to the criticism from a Formoy listener uh, who felt that Keith had done wrong in his past and he's paying for what happened with that minor, minor drug offence that he had some uh, 14 years ago. Somebody said give him a chance for his family's sake and also you may have heard when his dad Jim joined me a couple of times on the programme over the last uh, two weeks and one of the things that I found was most heartbreaking is that Keith hasn't been able to come home in the 12 years since he's been illegal in the States he wouldn't because he, knew he wouldn't be able to get uh, back in so his dad hasn't seen him and his mom hasn't seen him for 12 years I know some of his siblings have gone over to see him but he hasn't been able to come home and that's if this all gets regularised and everything maybe some real good will come out of this awful situation for, for Keith's family what would be great would be if they regularised everything and they accepted yeah it's okay there you go you can, you're now a legal citizen you can stay he would be able to come home on a family holiday and imagine it would probably be one of the first things that he would actually do thank you for your WhatsApp to 86 103 103 and thank you to people wanting to congratulate Tipperary 
Tipperary on their win yesterday, including Mary says, good morning, well done. Uh, well done to your home county, Tipperary. Uh, Patricia, great match. Why is the All-Ireland on so early, though? It was always on, on the first Sunday in September, said Mary. They changed it a couple of years ago. Now, John Paul will probably know more. He's kind of the man in the know there. I can't remember the reason why they did it, but they did change it and it's now the end of August uh, instead. But uh, it, well, I don't know what the reason for it was that it actually changed. And there's another text in on the hurling from Anthony, Anthony Pickford, one of our great listeners who's always listening to the radio in Limerick. He, he says, pity about Limerick not getting through, Patricia. They gave it their all. Well done to them. They were so close. Well done to Tip, a brilliant team. Here's hoping the Premier County can do it. And good luck to Greg in Love Island. His mum was on the show last night. She was, wasn't it very nice of her to bring over a present to Amber of a shamrock necklace? I'm looking forward to the night. Uh, to the it's the final of Love Island. For those that have been following it, they're they'll be going. Oh, what are we going to do after Love Island? And for those who haven't been following it, I think they'll be going. Thank God that that's all over because so many people were into it and were talking about it. And if you were a follower of the programme, then you got stuck in on the conversation. But if you didn't follow the programme and you weren't watching it, then you might have been out slightly if you were in social groups where people were uh, talking about it. Now, on the passing of the hearse, this is a call we got in earlier from Pat, who was travelling recently behind a funeral cortege. And he didn't know whether he should pass out the cars or not. Now he didn't because the section of the road he was on he wasn't able to but then there was part of the road where he could have and he was asking should you pass out and I straight away said I certainly wouldn't even if it meant me being slightly delayed I I still wouldn't but then that's just a personal thing for me. Eileen was on to say when her brother passed away in London they were travelling in the car behind the hearse and she said everybody on the street blessed themselves. She said on the streets here in Ireland when a hearse passes she doesn't see that many people blessing themselves compared to London where you would think people wouldn't bless themselves. Well I'm I'm really surprised to hear that. You must have been in a very Catholic area of London because when we were discussing wakes and Irish funerals last week on the programme we discussed the difference between an Irish funeral and a funeral in the United Kingdom and they are very very uh, different. So you must have been in just a predominantly Catholic area Eile because a lot of people wouldn't even know what blessing themselves meant in a country uh, or in a city like London with so many people of all different religions and none. Uh, 1850 333 103. says whether it's slow driving behind the hearse or blessing yourself when a hearse pass, passes you, I think it is right to do both as regardless of religion it just shows a little bit of respect both for the person who has passed away and also for those that are bereaved. And passed by text says, Morning Patricia, there's a very, very old Irish saying that when translated into English says, the person that passes out the horse will be the next person in it, says Pat. Whoa, whoa. (laughs) For a respect level, I wouldn't pass out a horse, but... Maybe if you're superstitious, people might might for that reason. The person that passes out the hearse will be the next person uh, in it. 
And thank you to Deputy Kevin O'Keefe who was listening to the programme this morning to say, Patricia, you may recall, I pursued the issue of dog DNA for detection of dog poo culprits with Cork County Council. I did it a number of years ago. The veterinary department were not in favour, says Kevin. I I knew, uh, thank you for that, Kevin. I knew we had covered it before in the programme. I knew somebody else had brought it up, but for the life of me, I couldn't think over the weekend who it was. So it was Kevin O'Keefe. Obviously, when Kevin was a councillor, he tried to get the DNA. So now we've got somebody in, because Pat Buckley is a doll TD. So maybe Kevin and Pat could get together on this one and see if they could get the introduction of a, a nationwide database for dogs. How it, the it's the compulsory aspect of it. I don't know how it's going to work because it's hard enough to get well I won't say responsible because the responsible ones will do it but it's hard enough to get pet owners to microchip their dog if the only way it would work would be it would have to be compulsory and every single dog in the country would have to be microchipped and the DNA somehow linked to the microchip how that's going to happen I don't know but at least you know we're talking trying to come up with some kind of uh, solutions Mary a new market Patricia idea why don't we have a rule whereby If you're bringing your dog out walking anywhere in a public area, they need to wear nappies. They have doggy clothing as it is. Why couldn't they have nappies? Didn't they do that with the Jarvis down in Killarney? Isn't that, is that working well in Killarney? Could we put dog nappies onto dogs? How would people feel about that? If you are a dog owner, would you, how would your dog feel? about putting a nappy on whilst going out for a walk. It's certainly, if you could get one, if you could get everybody doing it, we, we would have, the problem would be solved overnight because it would all be ended up in the nappy and not on the footpath, not on the road and not out in the grass in parks. Pat in for Moy says, Patricia, seriously, something needs to be done about this problem. It seems to be all talk and no action whenever we come up and try to come up with solutions for dog fouling. I think at this stage, says Pat, we simply need to ban dogs from the streets. Set up doggy parks like they have in other countries as the situation is simply out of uh, control. I certainly have seen wonderful dog parks in Spain and you will rarely see dog, dog poo on the pavement in, in Spain and they have these parks and the parks are no the owners clean up after themselves They're not, you don't just bring the dogs into the parks and leave them you know you see the owners cleaning up but you have to get to the park I mean even if we went down that route path that every single town and village had a dog park and you could only bring your dogs there and nowhere else how do you get the dog to the dog park Okay, fine, if you've got transport and you can drive, but not everybody will be in a position to be able to drive their dog. So you're going to have to walk the dog to the dog park and then it's on the walk down that the dog will possibly start fouling all over the place. So, yeah, it certainly is a solution and it works in other countries. Could it work here? Should we start introducing doggy parks? It certainly would be part of the solution. I don't know if there's any one Solution. I think there's got to be a whole host of different measures need to be put in place. But other countries can do it. Why? Why? Why can't we? It's just, it's it's annoying to say the very least. And somebody was on to. I don't have a name on this on the dog issue or a, a different pat. Pat has the same problem, but it's not dogs. It's cattle passing his gate every day. Obviously, lives in a rural area. The cattle go past, heading for milking. I'm assuming, and they go to the toilet on the way, and it's left right outside the gateway to his house and that is a much bigger mess 
than a dog simply coming and doing his business. 1850-333-103. Now, the Domamwe Agricultural Show are missing a trophy since the 2018 show. It is the Michael Walsh Perpetual Shield for the overall winner in the home produce section. It was returned in 2018 but was missing on show day. They're very anxious to get it back for the family who kindly donated it and we've put a picture of the trophy up on our Facebook page. So it's been missing since 2018. So it was returned in 2018. So the winner in 2017, because it's a perpetual one, so it has to come back. So whoever won it in 2017 brought it back. And then in 2018, it went missing on show day. Okay, so did somebody nick it? Was it it stolen? Was it taken by mistake? Seems really strange. Anyway, as I say, we've got a picture of it up, of the trophy on our Facebook page if you would like to go to our Facebook page and take a look at it does anybody know where this particular trophy is it's the Michael Walsh Perpetual Shield for the overall winner in the home produce section it would be wonderful to get it back it obviously wasn't handed out for, to the winner in 2018 and unless they get it back it's not going to be handed out for the winner of 2019 either if anybody knows where that trophy is, can you contact us and we'll put you in contact with the Dunmanway Agricultural Show who would dearly love to get it back and I can see why, particularly when a family go to the bother of sponsoring and donating it, it you know it's, it's a lovely idea, I think it's a lovely way to remember somebody, I don't know who Michael Walsh was but it's a lovely way I think to remember somebody when they put a trophy in the person's name and they just every year they get remembered when the perpetual shield or the trophy or whatever it is, is is handed out so for the family's sake it would be wonderful to get this trophy back 1850-333-103 if you can help in uh, any way C103 Jobs a part-time person is wonderful for Luna Bella in Mallow. Retail experience would be an advantage, although it's not essential. Full-time cleaner wanted that's for work in the Clonakilty area, while full and part-time beauty therapist required for sheer beauty. They're based in Mitchellstown. And child of a plantar, they are looking for drivers with a rigid, full rigid C and Arctic CE uh, license. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. People in Cork have been encouraged not to turn a blind eye to human trafficking and to talk about the issue in advance of World Day Against Human Trafficking, which takes place tomorrow. I'm joined by Mary Crilly of the Sexual Violence Centre in Cork. And in just a moment, I'll also be speaking with J.P. O'Sullivan of a group Cork called Cork Says No to Human Trafficking. But Mary Crilly joins me. Good morning to you, Mary. Good morning, Susha. Thank uh, you for having me on. Well, it's, it's our pleasure. Would you be aware of many cases of human trafficking well, it's go to numbers, so there isn't a huge number. All I can say is that we would have seen up to nine or ten young women who would have been trafficked um, for sexual exploitation, who would have been, you know, come either through Dublin from working with Rahama, or who would have been um, sent down to some other organisations in Cork who have been rescued from Brussels. I think it's important that people know this because very often they say to me, if I was in a situation where I wanted to stay in a country, I would say anything. But these young girls have been trafficked. They've been used, they've been exploited and they've been raped on numerous occasions. And sometimes, like, 
it is hidden in plain sight in lots of ways, you know, in as JP will talk about in a while about hotels and nail bars and all that kind of thing. But when these men, Irish men, go into Brussels or places where they can exploit and buy young girls, they know there's something wrong. They know by her attitude, they know by how she is, they know by, by her fear, but they're prepared to turn their back and say, it's not my problem. I pay for what I want, I get it, then I get out, and it's not my problem. And oh those men, I want to open their eyes, and I want to change culture, kind of thing, any kind of purchase of any human being, whether it's for labour, whether it's for sex, or whatever, it's just wrong. You're talking modern-day slavery here, and you're talking about the government even coming across maybe 70 people who've been trafficked. So they've come across 70, you can imagine it's two or three, four times kind of that amount, but even them coming across that many really shows that it is happening, and we know it's happening. And I found over the years, Cork has been the first with a lot of things, highlighting a lot of things, and we got a group together um, there a couple of months ago with, you know, we got JP to join, we got the Legal Aid Board, the guards, um, Cork Migrants, a lot of centres who really want to change the issue. And what we want to do in Cork is not have a talking shop, but really try and highlight what's going on, really try and highlight um, slavery and modern-day slavery. And, and that's what we're doing. And the, the, the girls that you would have spoken with and that you would have come across, Mary, over the years, they would have come to this country believing that they were coming to get a normal job, was it? It, it is. And I think, um, you know, when you say that to people or when I say it in schools, they say to me, would they ever get a grip? But I think if you look at people in countries where there's a lot of poverty, where there's no jobs, where there's no hope, and somebody comes along and what they give them is hope. Because traffickers don't always look like big, burly men who are going to kidnap them. Sometimes they're sold by their parents. Sometimes they're, we encourage it could be a young man or a young woman going to some Eastern European country and befriending a few girls and then kind of saying, my God, your life was so bad here. Come back to Ireland, my mam will put you up. This is what one girl said to me, my mam will put you up. It doesn't work out. You have your... Um, passport you can go back and she won't charge you rent for a couple of months and it looks quite good even even if our parents are saying I don't trust this it gives her hope and she will go and she will go she gets to the airport he will kind of say good luck that's my brother over there and then that's it she's forced into slavery because they use methods like we know where you live you have a little sister of nine she's going to get raped or unfortunately some African communities where witchcraft is kind of part of their culture part of the belief they will say that they'll do ABC to their family. So they really have ways of trapping them. But I really blame the men who go to the Brussels who kind of decide to purchase these people who decide is their goddamn right um, to go in and do whatever they want to a young girl. If the demand wasn't there, and I know that's a big issue about, you know, legalising or not legalising it, at the moment it's a crime to go in and purchase somebody. And I think that's what we need to look at and really change the culture about why is it acceptable to buy anybody for any kind of reason. And escape, Mary, particularly in the, in the sex industry, from their captors, is it very difficult? It's very difficult, but then it's very difficult for them even to go back to where they live. Even if there are organisations who will help people kind of go back, they can't go back to some of the villages because they're stained now. They've been raped as if it's been their fault. You're back to the whole victim blaming again. It's not their fault they've been trafficked and raped, but sometimes in their own community they don't want to know them. And it wouldn't be unusual, or I would have found on occasion for a young girl who has been you know, traffic and who has escaped, maybe going back into prostitution because that's all she knows. And I remember somebody said to me recently, how can you help them? And I'm saying by providing something else, mm. by filling the gap, by doing training, by doing education, by giving them hope, by helping them with their self-esteem, by something. You know, you can't just assume if somebody say gets out of a, an abusive relationship that they're going to be very happy and say thanks very much to you because there's a big gap and what do they do now? 
Stay there and let me bring in J.P. O'Sullivan, uh, who's on the other line of the Cork Says No to Human Trafficking. Good morning to you, J.P. Good morning. Uh, and and you, you're welcome. You know, straight away when you think of, of, of trafficking and when I was doing sort of some research on this, I was straight away thinking, well, I can see why I'm going to be talking to Mary Critty about it. You know, it's something you associate with, the, unfortunately, you associate with the sex industry. But you're here to tell another side of trafficking. Talk to me about the other industries here in oh. Cork where there are possibly girls and I take it, would there be men as well trafficked? Absolutely, there are. Um, so there are a number of forms of um, what we refer to as modern day slavery which takes place as a result of human trafficking. Um, so globally, um, there are a number of industries where people are being found. Here at home in Ireland, um, the most common are within nail bars, working in car washes, um, being exploited for other forms of labour, children being trafficked into and out of the country for sexual exploitation. Um, but at the moment, I guess the, the focus area, particularly in the UK, is on nail bars and car washes, where people are being brought in, as Mary mentioned, with the promise of of hope, of um, employment, of money to send home to their families. And they're arriving to very different realities, where they're working for little or no money, and possibly at times just for food or shelter. Um, but what we're trying to, to get out there tomorrow is really that it's in it's here at home in Ireland, it's in Cork, it's, it's around us, but it's, it's simply hidden in plain sight. How would you know? What, what are the telltale signs for members of the public to look out for? How would I know if I went into a nail bar or a car wash? Sure. Um, so the, the most common signs or indicators are, you know, the person may not be engaging with the customer and they're not may not be allowed to handle any of the cash. There may be somebody overseeing them, um, standing in the room with them, watching them while they do their work. The person, there may be very clear indicators that the person is living in their workplace. Um, now, what we've done as Cork Against Human Trafficking is we've set up a website, it's sextrafficking.ie, and on that website there's a downloadable booklet where all the indicators um, are included for the various types of exploitation. So for labour, for domestic servitude, child trafficking, sexual exploitation. So they're all available to download from that website. The list is exhaustive, as you can imagine. But what we say is, you know, if you're in any environment, situation, um, and you feel that something is wrong, that the person standing in front of you is not there of their own free will, and you just get a feeling in the pit of your stomach, then there is usually something up to it. And language, I'm assuming, JP, can often be an issue that English might not, will not necessarily be their, their first song. It's very true. And, you know, the, one of the things that happens as well in that regard, Patricia, is it's about control. So the person has taken a person from their home country and they're not possibly allowed to learn the local language. Their passport or their papers will have been taken from them. So it's very much about a controlled environment and a controlled person. And would they get moved from area to area to make sure, you know, particularly if people are starting to get suspicious about somebody? Yes, that's a common symptom, yeah. So people can be moved around the country on a, a day-to-day basis. We would often um, have spoken with and met with survivors who would have said they didn't even know the country they were in. They'd arrived in the dead of night and were driven around so much that they didn't know where they were anymore. And what is life like for somebody living in modern-day slavery? Um, well, as I mentioned, Patricia, you know, it can be um, hidden in plain sight around us. So people can be walking around the streets. 
people can be going to and from their place of, shall we call it, employment. Um, so the, the face of modern-day slavery is very different to what we would imagine slavery to have been over the centuries. Gone are the, the chains, the, the shackles. Mm. Um, people are no longer necessarily tied up in rooms, but they're out walking the streets around us. They're travelling on buses and trains. They're being moved on buses and trains. And that's very much what tomorrow is about. It's to raise awareness that people um, who are living in modern-day slavery are around us um, in our daily lives. And it's to help people to, I suppose, identify people at risk and to do something about it. Is there a lot of money to be made in, in human trafficking? There is $151 billion being made every year. <sighs> so that's greater than the combined profits of Facebook, Starbucks and Google. That's incredible. It is. And, you know, I suppose the, the number that really sort of brings it home um, to us is, you know, the, the numbers of slaves that are around the world. Um, 40 million people trapped in modern-day slavery today. Um, it's just it, it's a growing um, phenomenon, growing challenge, growing problem, and it's second only to the arms trade in terms of profits being generated. Mary, it's very hard to hear JP use the word slaves, isn't it, isn't it in, in 2019? I, I think it is, and I think when I meet these young girls, you know, when you put a human face properly, I find it heartbreaking, you know, and somebody might say to me, well, they can receive counselling for you, and I think if anybody even attempted to provide counselling to some of these young girls, I think it would be a mistake because they really can't remember what happened or they've no need to remember or I think it's been too overwhelming because they ever talk about being raped kind of nine, ten times a day. A lot of women kind of in the brothels have the opportunity to kind of go from A to B in the street. They really are moved by car, underground, in car parks from A to B. And they're not moved um, for their own protection. They're moved because the punters, as the guys like to call themselves, or they nearly like to call themselves clients these, day, these days, and they're not clients. Um, wants to be different all the time. Every time they go into a brothel or ring up to find somebody, they will say exactly what size, what type, as if they're ordering a pizza. But if people really want to know what it's like, there's um, a few sites like Escort Ireland where these guys will rate the girls. Oh I want goodness. to try and highlight the culture where people might say, but a man has his needs and there's no harm. You know, it is huge harm. But if you go into these sites and just look at the way these people are reviewed, it would make your stomach turn. You'd really be sick. And you think, my God, this is a human being. This is somebody's sister. This is somebody's daughter. This is like a 16, 17-year-old. Or a report that came out yesterday about Romania, they were saying that the age of girls putting into slavery, because that's where they most of them come from, is age nine oh. in the sex industry. You know, and that's what the men look for. The younger, the younger, maybe a young Asian girl who looks quite young. So it really is happening. Well, and they're they're paedophiles. That, that, that's that's paedophilia. Totally. But they won't see themselves as that. They will kind of say, well, you know, it's fair game. It's like, you know, the way we use language, like the way we use child porn instead of kind of, you know, images of child sexual abuse. We can kind of just glamorize the whole industry by kind of saying it's okay and they're engaging in sex work. Or kind of, you might see a rape case with a young girl or a young boy who engaged in sexual activity. That's the language we need to change because they didn't. They were raped, you know, and just really look at it head on. Call it out for what it is. The majority of men are not doing this and the majority of men are not going to Brussels. The majority of men have no a clue that this is happening around them. So all we're trying to do in Cork tomorrow with JP, who's an amazing guy and he works at Metcalfs in Dublin, raising awareness in the 
hotel industry, especially about children and the other organisations who come on board, we want to just raise awareness and say, oh my God, this is really heartbreaking and this has to stop. It really okay. has to stop. JP, where in the hotel industry would would you be expected to see it? Okay, so the, the work that I do day to day here in Dublin is working with hotels around the country, um, very much a child protection perspective, supporting them to, to understand that child trafficking can take place through hotels. Um, against the, the hotelier's knowledge. Um, so it's, I guess it's worldwide, a worldwide phenomenon, Patricia, where people are taking children to hotels for the purpose of exploitation. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand what you're saying. Okay, yeah. tell me what's planned uh, for tomorrow to mark this uh, World Day. Okay, so our main um, trust or focus is online. Um, so we've set up a number of social media platforms. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, the handles are at Cork AHT. Um, what we're asking people to do is join us there if they can't be physically with us in the um, Sexual Violence Centre in Cork um, around from 12 to 3 and um, to come online to share the messages, to learn more. Visit the website sextrafficking.ie. Um, really, it's about raising awareness. Everybody has the opportunity or potential um, to witness somebody that is trapped in slavery today around them um, and learn tomorrow how to report it. And that's the most significant thing it's one thing seeing it or having the suspicions, but reporting it is fundamental to, to getting somebody out of slavery today. Okay, and Mary, that'll be your message as well. If you are Absolutely. suspicious, um, report. If people are around tomorrow, the centre is open and we welcome people to come in between 12 and 3, but especially around 2 when we have a focus of kind of um, photographs and just a conversation about, you know, Cork and human trafficking and people are more than welcome because this won't change unless the public get involved unless well everybody out there like the way um, the centre has become so vibrant thanks to the Cork public because they've come involved in the centre and kind of support us in different ways and that's what we're looking for everybody humans against human trafficking Okay well done well done to both of you good luck thank with you. your day tomorrow and thank you both for joining us on the programme Good thank morning you. to uh, Mary uh, Crilly of the Cork Sexual Violence Centre and JP O'Sullivan of Cork says no to human trafficking in advance of World Day against human trafficking which takes place tomorrow. For C103 photos, videos and more, follow us on Instagram and get a good look at what's going on across Cork. Search Instagram for at C103 Cork. And just on dog fouling that we've been discussing earlier, Lister says, listening to Patricia and uh, and the dog fouling out items on her programme today, I'm absolutely fuming and angry as I am a responsible dog owner. But there are only two bins in the whole town of Mallow to dispose of a full doggy bag. I've often walked three to four kilometres before I can dispose of same in the correct manner. The council removed the bin down the walkway by Mallow Bridge which now leaves the whole of the town with just two of the dog fouling bins. And then someone else has been on from the Formoy area to say that the dog bin on the Pike Road in Formoy is full. But the problem there is somebody is also throwing domestic rubbish into the bin. And that's the point that Deputy Pat Buckley, who raised this issue on the programme today, made earlier when he was talking about the town of Middleton that had dog fouling bins and they had to remove all of them because people were putting domestic rubbish into the bin. And remember, all of those bins, while the council installed them, it's the local tidy towns groups are a community group that will empty them. The council don't empty them. And I know Daniela Toomey who joined us last week on the programme from East Cork, she was doing a big push to get more of these bins 
put in place because I made the point and I've made the point before that while we have a lot of responsible pet owners and dog owners we have to make things as easy as possible for people but well done to that person you know goes out with the dog takes the dog for a walk and can be four kilometres walking around with the bag with them but under no circumstances will that person even consider throwing it over the ditch or as we heard from Middleton throwing it up into the air and it landing up in a tree in a cemetery in Middleton 60 bags they removed from a tree in in the cemetery just absolutely disgusting and totally disrespectful and let's stay though on the theme of litter because a family in Court McSherry have decided to set up beach cleaning stations at local beaches and joining me with uh, details is Jim O'Donnell good morning to you Jim good morning Patricia now Jim I believe this suggestion came from your own children tell me how they came up with the idea yeah, that's right. We were actually um, walking down on Ona Hincha Beach last year and we passed a beach cleaning station and the kids said, Dad, we should set this up around our own beaches, around Seven Heads, uh, around Court Cherry. And what is a beach cleaning station? Uh, basically, it's just a board that's kind of permanently fixed there. It has bags and lip pickers and a little bit of information, you know, just to sort of, uh, I mean, it, it brings awareness and obviously there's the, the, the lip pickers and the um, bags to hand. So what you're asking people to do is if they're going for a walk on the beach, bring a bag, bring a litter picker and just pick up a bit of rubbish on the way. Yeah, yeah. I, I think also that the boards act as a deterrent for people leaving rubbish too. So Good. they kind of work, it's two, twofold. They can see that other people are working hard to keep the beach clean. So hopefully they'll just keep it clean in the first place. Saying that a lot of litter actually isn't from uh, people that gets washed in on storms. Yeah, it arrives yeah. by all sorts of means, you know. Uh, yeah, it's all our single-use plastic ending up in the seas. Uh, we know only too well about that. How now? How have you have you put up many of these boards? Yeah, we've actually put up six. We've well, covered the whole of the kind of Seven Heads area. So we've got two in Cormac Cherry. We've got one on Broadstrand, one on Blindstrand, one on Dunworley, and one on Maloney's Beach there as well. So we've covered the whole of our kind of local area. With that's terrific. And how did you come up with the funding for it? Um. Initially, we looked at um, the boards that we'd found. They were from um, actually from um, uh, a charity in the UK, and they worked out quite sort of expensive. So we ended up going to local businesses and asking for sponsorship for the boards. And actually, it didn't cost too much to fund all six, given that um, they're printed on aluminium and they've got a five-year lifespan. So, yeah, but it, it was four local businesses that, that come up with the money. Well done. And then the, yeah. the bags and the litter pickers? They've been supplied by um, Cork City Council's environmental de- um, department there with um, Clean Coast. So they supply all our bags and all our litter pickers. So it's kind of, you know, I, I, we don't, they're, they're funded, they're up, they're running, and we don't really need to put sort of no more effort into them. Apart from our family who are going round, we're collecting the rubbish and taking it to the local tip. So if somebody picks up the rubbish from the beach where and then they do they come back to where the sign is and leave your bag there or are you asking people to bring the bag home they can either or i mean we have a few local um bins around around the village if it's a small amount they put it in a local bin or if they leave it there either or you know so i mean if they want to take it home obviously it saves us for the job but obviously during the winter we get bits of fishing net and yeah. pallets and so if they leave them there we'd dispose of those you know. Well done. Well, and it's it's you and your and uh, what age are your children? 
they're 12 and 10. They both go to Barry Road School there, Lola and Saoirse. Well done. You're, you're raising really great civic-minded uh, children there. They're, they're a credit to you uh, for sure. And then do you have to restock the plastic bags or anything? Sorry, restock them? Um, yeah. Well, Cork County, County Council have given us two, three hundred bags. So we're just going around every couple of days. We have two dogs. We live on the beaches here. So it's, it's an easy job to do when we're out and about just doing our daily things anyway. And as you live by the sea, are you seeing a lot of rubbish being washed in? No, not really during the summer months. There's little bits and pieces and you get the odd person from the city that decides to sort of leave their rubbish here and you know but I mean the most of the, the worst of the rubbish would probably be in the winter months with the storms Okay but but yeah. local people will always take their they go for a picnic or walk they'll bring their rubbish home with them Yeah it's only sort of the odd inconsiderate person that sort of comes and leaves a lot of rubbish but yeah most people I, I guess there's there's some that are accidents things blow away in the wind and things you know so, but certainly the worst of the rubbish here would be during the winter storms What's, yeah, what's, what's getting uh, washed in? Because I know there was that campaign encouraging people when you walk on the beach to pick up three pieces of plastic along, along or three pieces of litter. I, I think this has probably been an extension of that. I, I mean, the initial board we see saw was um, uh, a, a campaign called the Two Minute Beach Clean, yeah. which I believe they kind of started off the back of that. It was some surfers from Cornwall in the UK and um, they set up these portable boards. And that's what we initially saw, and we thought, well, you know, why don't we do something permanent and something which is sort of more unique to the to the local area? So these are the Seven Heads um, beach cleaning stations. It's terrific, and it's uh, they're nice, clear signs. Can we share them on our Facebook page just to let other people course, see what they look like? Of course, you can. We'd, uh, we'd be grateful. Do you know if it encourages other people? That's to that was there. going to be my next question. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if other areas took the lead and and and, and did something similar? Yeah, really. I mean, these boards cost us, I think it costs 115 euros per board. So you're looking, it's got a five-year span, probably even more. So you're only looking at 20 euros a year. And it's encouraging people to get out there and, and do something. You know, if they come down with the kids, it gives the kids something to do on the beach. Just take the litter pickers off and go and pick yeah. up some litter. Yeah, and yeah. children love to get involved in something like that. It's, it's, it, it really is, it, it is great. You did the festival at the weekend, didn't you, in Court Mac? So, yeah, the festival was on all this week Sorry. into early next week. So oh, is it? This Sorry. Saturday, actually, is the big day with the, um, the regatta and the water sports day. So, right. I mean, if anybody's around, Saturday's the day to come down. Are you involved in the festival? Uh, not in with any of the organising, but obviously with the kids, we get involved with the stuff. There's a sandcastle competition today and there's, there's something on every single day this week. It's great. Those festivals are, they're, they're the backbone of little communities. They're, they really are great. Uh, listen, Jim, once again, congratulations to you, the kids, the rest of the family. It's a terrific uh, initiative. And thanks a million for taking time out to talk to us. Thanks very much for having us this Good morning, morning to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Bye. Jim. Bye-bye. Jim, Jim O'Donnell from uh, Court McSherry. If you're down and around that area, you possibly have already seen these beach cleaning stations. We will get it up on our uh, Facebook page because I really would love to see this being copied and other areas uh, to take it on board because it is a terrific, terrific initiative. And isn't it great to think the idea coming from little 12 and 10 year old from children because they are the future. This the young generation who are really into the environment and not littering on the streets. They are the future and they have to, I suppose they have to get involved in all of this because, you know, it's what we're leaving behind for the next generation and the generation uh, afterwards. 1850 Jim was on to say, Patricia, would you say well done to the Cork under 20 and the minor teams yesterday and especially to our local man, 
Cahill O'Mahony from uh, Mitchellstown. Well done to the Cork under 20 and the minor teams. And Mushra Platform Dance is on next Sunday the 4th of August which is the bank holiday weekend isn't it? Are we coming into bank? We are bank holiday weekend from 3 until half past 5. Music is by the Singing Jarvie and all are very welcome to come along. That's Mushra platform dancing next Sunday. Councillor Paul Hayes was on to say well done to Jim O'Donnell from Court McSherry who we just spoke with and his family for this great initiative of the beach cleaning stations. A simple idea but very effective making it easier for civic minded people to clean up around them. So glad the Cork County Council have come on board to assist this effort and in particular Paul says well done to Teddy Brown in the litter control section for his assistance. Well done again to Jiminy's girls. The future is certainly looking brighter with young girls, uh, young people like that in our community. Uh, kind regards, Paul Hayes. Yeah, that was one of the points I made as well. I think it was fantastic that it came from the kids. And obviously, Dad decided, yeah, let's see what we can do here. So so well done to, uh, to, to them, to the O'Donnells, and to everybody who goes out and picks up one of the bags and the litter pickers and collects litter along the way. And actually, while I'm handing out the pats on the back and saying, well done, interesting that Paul Hayes should send in that, Councillor Paul Hayes should send in that text at that time because I was about to give a mention and he was one of the climbers that took part last Saturday on the climb to Caron Tuhill. We spoke last week with Valerie Hurley who was talking about her husband Michael Milo Hurley who ha- was diagnosed with motor neuron disease and there's fundraisers going on for the Motor Neuron Disease Association and for the continuing care that Michael will need going forward and they were, they're doing some fundraising and one of the big fundraisers that they had was this climb to Caron Tuhill last Saturday and Milo himself who has M- motor neuron disease while he's still able wanted to do it and my heart was in my mouth thinking about this man I mean surrounded by great support group and I know Councillor Paul Hayes was one of the climbers but I just thought it must have been incredibly emotional for everyone to have seen Milo get to the top of the highest mountain in Ireland what what a man and what an inspiration and I saw it on Facebook and I saw some of the photographs they, weather wise they did really well which which was great because we were talking about putting the, the Child of Prague statues out so it looked like they got a clear day the whole way to the top of Coron Tool, but it was great. So well done. Can I just say well done to everyone who took part and who did that climb with Milo last uh, Saturday. You are an incredible bunch of people and I know the fundraising they went, they were, had to go from the page that they were hoping to raise 5,000. They went over the 5,000 and all the sponsorship money isn't in uh, y- yet and we wish continued good health to Milo and indeed to Valerie and bless her heart she couldn't take part in the climb because she had a problem with discs in her neck and she's kind of knocked out herself so it was tough on her to watch everybody else climb. So well done to everybody who took part in that climb last uh, Saturday. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Your questions coming in for Annalise Roussel, our nutritional therapist. Please John Paul is taking them at 1850 333 103 and you can text her WhatsApp 0862 Heidi, one of our regular WhatsAppers, has been on to us this morning with an issue and I'm wondering are many people aware of this or have others come across the same problem? Hi Patricia. I would like to bring to the notice of people living in the West Cork area if they are not already aware of this. I have a small star-like crack on the windscreen of my car. 
I have tried a good few days last week to get in touch with Autoglass so that I could book an appointment. Tried to book an appointment online, but this was proving impossible. You get so far on the website and then you can get no further. So I was forced to pick up the phone and call them. When you do speak to them in person, and I did explain what was happening online, they said, oh yeah, we're aware of that problem. I asked, what is the point of having a website if it's not working? Anyway, Autoglass rang me this morning to say that they will be in our area around the 12th or 13th of August. And we're only at the end of July. So I hope that nothing more happens to my windscreen. I ask, why is there not a windscreen repair place permanently in our area? This is this is this not just another hit at rural Ireland. Those planning councils, are they the reason the companies can't have offices here, which would be great for us that need them and more jobs and businesses would be great for West Cork, says uh, Heidi. And I'm assuming that that's not just an issue that affects West Cork. I'm assuming, I, I don't know, are, is, there an, is there a similar place in East Cork? Is there one in North Cork? Other counties around the country I mean are there is there auto glass I suppose they, they can't have they can't have shops and depots everywhere but could they have more rather than only visiting an area I mean that's nearly two weeks away from when Heidi contacted them so do they only come to the area is it once every month is it once every two weeks I don't know how often uh, and how have other people got around that who wanted to get their windscreen fixed did you have much of a delay and yeah then your heart's in your mouth hoping that the whole windscreen doesn't go in the meantime, when you're waiting for the repair to take place, thank you for your WhatsApp to 086 103 103. On dog fouling, morning Patricia, I have a bag specifically designed to wear when I'm out walking my dog. The bag is on a belt, so I tie it around my waist. It has four pockets in it. One is for bags, one is for gloves, one contains dog nuts and treats and one is where you put your dog waste, you put it into the bag and then you bring it home. I bring mine home and I put it into my own bin. All pockets are zipped closed so there isn't an odour when you're out walking. I got a present of this bag belt, I suppose you call it. I don't think it would have been that expensive but considering it's so so useful, it's worth anything. I don't know. I wonder where, as you say, you got it as a gift. Has anybody else, else seen that? And it's designed with this in mind. So it's a belt that has four pockets on it and you put all the bits and bobs that you need to bring with you when you're taking your dog for a walk. So I'm assuming you hang it up with the dog lead so that when you head out the door with the dog lead out comes the belt, you pop that around your waist, make sure your bags and your gloves are in it, your doggy treats and all of that. But there's actually a separate pocket where you put your dog waste because it's all closed. I mean, I know people are going to go, oh God, walking around and you've got dog poo in your pocket. But no, it's sealed up in the bag so it's all securely in. There's a zip. There's no smell. You just take it home, pop it straight into the bin and off you go. And there is a very, very responsible pet owner. Well done to you. And why can't we have everybody walking around with similar type belts? I don't know if anybody has seen them on sale, where they're on sale, where others could get them. It would, it would be uh, terrific if we if we found someplace locally that's selling it. Maybe they were bought online. I don't know. Listener says, in the Kildowry area, there's a person who cleans up their yard after their dog has does these business. And guess what? They throw the dog poo out onto the road. Ah, oh, ah. Is that being witnessed by other people? Because if it is, and it's something that Pat Buckley mentioned, there is a litter reporting 
phone number at both the city and the county council where if you know of littering and dog fouling is littering. So you can ring and I'm, I'm nearly 99% sure you can ring anonymously if you know of littering that's going on in an area. Well, I know you can because I know the council in particular want to hear, you know, if there's fly tipping going on, they like to try and get out there, get it cleaned up before it gets worse. So, I mean, if you know of any bad area with littering, but for dog fouling. And if that's a repeat offender, and it sounds by that text that it is a repeat offender, it's somebody who is on a daily basis or maybe a couple of times a week cleaning up after the dog and then throwing the dog poo out onto the road. That's just really disgusting. I can't believe that somebody's doing that on a regular basis. Anyway, if you are and you want to report litter in your area, including dog fouling, the Cork County Council is an 021 number 453-2700, 453-2700. And Cork City Council, they have a free phone number 1-800-222-26, one 800 Six and their litter reporting phone numbers on behalf of the City Council and the County Council. Uh, hi Patricia, there's an all glass in Mallow where you can get your windscreen fixed. So that obviously would suit people in the North Cork uh, area but there obviously isn't one in uh, West Cork and they only visit. They're coming, they're coming into the area 12th, 13th of August are, are thereabouts. Okay, 1850 Earlier on, I mentioned that there was a... Where did I get this from? There was a plaque gone missing, a perpetual shield. It was the Dumanway Agricultural Show. It was John Paul uh, sent this in to me, that they're missing a trophy since the 2018 show. It's the Michael Walsh Perpetual Shield. And it's given to the overall winner of the home produce section. And we've put it up on our Facebook page in the hope that somebody might spot the trophy and might realise where the trophy is. I mean, I'd like to think that this has gone into somebody's house by mistake, that somebody didn't realise that they were meant to keep it. or That's what you would like to assume. Well, I've just did a message in to say... Um, Thank you for your item on the Michael Walsh plaque. My name is Mary Walsh. Michael was my late husband. Ah, bless Mary. He was a keen gardener for many years and was well known for his prize winning vegetables. He competed in all of the West Cork shows. We would dearly love to get the plaque back. Thank you for that because I did say that I didn't know who uh, Michael Welch was. And now we know. Keen gardener well known for his prize winning vegetables so what a lovely way for the family to remember him by getting a perpetual shield in his name so that others who would be and it's in the home produce section others that will be producing fine vegetables will be winning this overall trophy and it will be in Michael's name so it would be just so great uh, to get it back as I say what we know we know that it was returned in 2018. So we know that whoever won it in 2017 did their bit. They kept it for the year and very proud to have it in on display and then gave it back in 2018. But it went missing on the day of the show. As I say, I err on the side that it was taken home by mistake by somebody. That's, you wouldn't like to think that anyone would deliberately take a perpetual shield like that. And somewhere, someone somewhere must know where the Michael Walsh Perpetual Shield uh, is. Please, 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 if you know, can you get in contact with us 
are if you're embarrassed about it and all of that even if you get, leave it somewhere and just let us know where it is and we'll go pick it up because it would be lovely to have it back and particularly now that we've heard from Mary, Michael's uh, wife It'll be lovely to have it back. It it, it, re- it really will be. And thank you, Mary, for your nice uh, text to 0862-103-103. OK, and I can see questions coming in for Annalise. Can you keep those coming as well? And I just want to give a, another a mention to, this was an email that I did in this morning from Margaret Peters to say the Disadvantaged Farmers Legal Challenge Group. Remember them? They were set up a number of uh, years ago. It was actually back in... I've just realised this evening, I was trying to think of when, 2013 and 2014, that's when the, that was when the need for the Disadvantaged Farmers Legal Challenge was set up. Anyway, they've started a monthly draw and they've been running it throughout this, the month of uh, July, because they're trying to raise more funds for their High Court case. They have had a minor expense of the lodging of the case in May of 2017. And all the funds that were previously collected are still in the account. But they're hoping that the case will come to the High Court towards the end of this year or early in next year. And just to remind people, it was in 2013 and 2014, thousands of farmers in Ireland were hit with payment reductions and penalties. It was based on findings by the Department of Agriculture that they'd overclaimed on land, which the department deemed ineligible for payment under the then single payment scheme and other schemes. The ground which was classified as ineligible was often found on marginal or disadvantaged land. Land which in a lot of cases had been actively farmed for many years and for generations. These payment cuts put a big burden on farmers in disadvantaged areas. So in 2014, the Disadvantaged Farmers Legal Challenge Group was founded and a campaign was started to address the land in the land. Uh, ineligibility issues. After months of research, they held meetings, they did fundraise, they then put together the legal challenge. May of 2017, they issued proceedings to the High Court. They are ongoing and we all know their court cases, they're lengthy and they're costly undertakings. So they initially started with a a fundraising that was underway and they got some money in. I, I don't know what, is, what, what it was in total, but they need to get more money in because they're getting very close now to ending up in court. With that in mind, this draw is underway. Tickets have been sold throughout the month of July, so the last week, because the draw is going to be held this Friday, the 2nd of August. They're giving out cash uh, prizes. Tickets are €10 and the demand far exceeded the supply of the tickets. And according to Margaret Peters, some of the tickets were bought by people from other counties. So do I take it they're all gone then? There are tickets for the August draw. Oh no, there's still some available. Tickets will be available across this week and on uh, Friday night as well. And it's actually Danny Healyway, Deputy Danny Healyway, who's coming along to draw the winning tickets on Friday night. So just because I know that came up a few weeks ago on the programme, somebody asked us, or a few months ago, somebody asked us what was happening with the Disadvantaged Farmers Legal Challenge Group and people were asking what had happened with the money. And I remember we looked into it at the time and we were told all the money was sitting in the bank waiting for the High Court to proceed. It's the wheels of justice rolls rolls very slow in this country, I can tell you, considering that they lodged it in May of 2017 and it will be over two years, if not close to three years, by the time they actually get their day in court. 1850 333 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 
103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science. With beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Corkcoco.ie. And I'll start with a cancellation. The bingo in the Clonakilty Community Hall is cancelled tonight and that is due to a bereavement. But the Irish Blood Transfusion Service, they've got their donor clinics in Colosta Trassa in Cantark today between 3 and 5 this afternoon and 7 to 9 tonight. Monster Bingo is going ahead at the Parkway Hotel in Dalmanway tomorrow, Tuesday, half past eight. Proceeds are in aid of local charities. The popular Clonakilty guided historical town walks are held every Wednesday during July and August. You can meet on Wednesday evening at the Michael Collins statue at seven and the walk lasts about an hour and a half. And Ballinhasic Community Development Association will hold a fundraising social dance in the Marion Hall this Friday night. Dancing will be to Peter Burke from 9.45pm and teas will be served. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 103. And uh, Noreen is reacting to the piece that I read out about windscreen and getting windscreens fixed in West Cork. And Heidi been asked to wait until 12th between the 12th and 13th of August before the company that she got onto would be in the area. Noreen uh, said, coincidentally, I'm also looking for a windscreen repair service too. I've given up on Autoglass as they can hardly answer the phone, never mind arrange a quick appointment. Is there any windscreen repair service in Bandon, McCroom or Cork City area that your listeners may know of, please, or even a mobile service thanking you, says Noreen. Well, lo and behold, Rob from West Cork was on to say there are seven or eight different crowds that fix windscreens, not just autoglass. Most would be out to you from the city in a day or two. That's from Rob in West Cork who says, Mr. Windscreen is the one that I've used and is the one he would recommend. So there you go, Noreen. If you want to give that a try, Mr. Windscreen, you could try uh, try that. Um, okay, questions coming in for Annalise. Thank you for uh, that. I just want to make sure that I've gone through all of the other texts that I wanted to give a mention to. I have because I want to talk about the piece that's making, it's on the news and it's also making the front page of the Irish Daily Mail today and it is quite shocking. More than 1,100 cases of children with illnesses related to alcohol and our drugs were treated in our hospitals just, just for one year, last year uh, alone. 
And then when you dig down through the figures, 290 of the cases involved children under the age of 10. Now, some of the ones under the age of 10 would have been little babies born to mothers who had alcohol or addiction issues or drug uh, issues. So they would have been born with drug problems, bless their little hearts. But parents will be appalled to read that the figures do not reveal the full picture of how our drink and drugs culture is damaging our young children as they only show day and inpatient cases and not those in emergency and outpatients. Now, it's the Irish Daily Mail are publishing them today. They got the figures under the Freedom of Information and they show children and teenagers being treated for such dangerous illnesses as liver disease and drug-induced acute pancreatitis. They also reveal infants who were affected, as I mentioned, by their mothers taking drugs and alcohol while they were pregnant. The startling numbers have raised questions about how accessible alcohol is to young people today, because it is the it is the, the cases the ten the, the children between the ages of ten and seventeen. There was eight hundred cases involved children between uh, ten and seventeen. So the bulk of the cases were in that particular uh, age group. Fina Fall spokesperson on children and youth affairs and rabbit. She said more needs to be done to curb teenage drinking in this country. She said we all know the issue we have with underage drinking and the culture we have in this country and also the fact that young children are going to discuss over the summer with only a bus driver for supervision and no second adult on board. This leaves children and young teenagers open to drinking and all too often they will end up in our A&E departments getting their stomachs pumped. Now there was a recent study from Drink Aware and that found that the majority of people under the age of 20 in Ireland showed signs of alcohol dependency. Almost two thirds, 64% admitted regular drinking to cheer themselves up to forget about their problems are more worryingly to ease depression or symptoms of anxiety. On average, those aged under 25 had their first drink when they were 14, with over a third saying they binged drink they binge drink at, l- at least once a week, if not more than once a week. Two thirds said that excessive drinking was just part of the Irish culture. And that's what all we seem to get. Whenever we talk about drinking, it's like she shrugged the shoulders. She's not the way we are with the Irish. Don't we do it? Don't we do everything with alcohol? It's just in our culture. If it is, it's it's a worrying trend that we need to we need to maybe we sometimes need to change our culture. It isn't just because it's in our culture, it doesn't mean that it's good. Senator Catherine Noonan recently called for Ireland to raise the legal drinking age to 20. She also wants a complete ban on alcohol advertisements. Now she's calling for the adoption of the Icelandic model in tackling alcohol abuse among young people and in Iceland it's proven to be highly effective to date because they seemingly were having a similar problem a number of years ago and they decided they needed to do something about it. So in Iceland, the government reduced the visibility and availability of alcohol. They also increased the legal drinking age. It was at 18, the same as it is in this country. They put it up to 20 and they put a ban on alcohol and tobacco advertisements. And so far, it does appear to be working. Now, we've been calling for bans on alcohol and tobacco. Well, the tobacco one we've, is gone, isn't it? There's no more advertising on tobacco, but certainly the alcohol one has been caused for that uh, for quite some time. But I think it's the availability of alcohol. I think I'd be interested to dig deeper into the Icelandic model as to how, what they did 
about the availability. And I'm wondering if that has really helped with this problem that they had with underage drinking and young adults and the amount of alcohol young adults uh, were drinking. Raising the age from 18 to 20, I mean, in, in the States, it's 21. You can't have legally have a drink in the States until you're 21. And they are really strict on it. I mean, anyone who's been to the uh, States, no matter what age you are, you get asked for ID. It's always a great bit of fun when you're sitting, you go into someplace, a restaurant, you might order a glass of wine or you're in a bar, wherever it is, and they ask you for, your, for your. The first time I was asked, I, I thought the guy was having a laugh, saying, oh yeah, thanks very much, I look so young. And they said, no. And I remember being in another bar and they were, it was a restaurant and we, I hadn't bought my passport because you don't, I don't generally, when I'm out, carry my passport with me when I'm on holidays. It's one of the things you put in the safe to keep it safe. And we were in a restaurant and we got asked for ID, photographic ID. And I straight away said I didn't have it with me and whatever. And this girl, young waitress, was adamant. There was absolutely no way. Now, the others in my party had driver's licence, I think, with them. They were OK and I didn't. And there was no way I was going to be the only one sitting at the table without a drink. And then we got uh, a senior manager came. She was new. This was a young waitress. I think she was on one of her... F- her first or second shift so she was sticking everything to the letter of the law so a manager came along and I explained that I'd been in there on a previous night but I hadn't been asked for ID on a previous night either now I have to say but anyway and uh, she took one look at me and said oh you look just about over 21 and I got served my drink but they are quite strict about it is the point I'm not trying to be flippant I'm not being flippant um, I sound like I'm being flippant but they're just strict about it so would would that help? Would it help if we increased the legal age of drinking to 20 or maybe go with the Americans increase it to 21 but how do we stop the 14 year olds and under drinking and Rabbit's point on the buses that has become an issue I remember do you remember Dr Jason van der Velt, who we spoke with that time the buses coming into a disco wasn't it in Clonakilty and they were literally taking young people were coming off these buses that were coming from all over West Cork there was buses from the city there was buses that travelled from North Cork down to Clonakilty and some of the condition the young people were in it was a teenage disco do you remember we spoke about them setting up a field hospital next to the in the rugby club in the field there were so many young people sick and turning them on their side to make sure nobody was going to choke on their own vomit and it was just it was disgraceful now I know in Clonakilty since their discos they really have made sure that they don't have any buses arriving with young people in any kind of conditions like that they're very strict now on their policy on how you get the tickets to get into the disco and mam or dad has to turn up to get the tickets and that seems to be working really well but obviously the fact that Anne Rabbit is mentioning this that there's children with you know getting on buses this is not just a Cork issue this is an issue that's happening all over the country where young people are hiring these buses the bus company will say once the bus is paid for we turn up, the young people get on, we're not a babysitting service, you know, we're paid to get whoever's on the bus from A to B and they don't have uh, supervision and there is a lot of drinking goes on those those buses but it's not just on buses, you'll have bush drinking going on wherever you'll, you'll see young people gather throughout the summer months there will be drinking going on. It's how do we control it, how do we stop it, how do we educate our young people and it will go back to the, as the young people themselves have said, the excessive drinking, they just see it as part of Irish culture. 
they don't see anything wrong with it. They never think that they're going to be one of the ones ending up inside in the hospital needing to have their stomach pumped or more worryingly hearing about liver disease and acute pancreatitis drug-induced acute pancreatitis which sounds dreadful condition but uh, and then the more serious you know that's a serious disease as is liver disease and we're getting that in our young people 1850 333 103 John Paul taking your calls text or WhatsApp 086 to 103 103 questions for Annalise please because she's going to join us in a couple of minutes but just a quick text from Anne to say Hi Patricia I lost my purse on Friday outside Ballydeheen Supervalue I discovered the loss on Saturday to my great relief and joy a very decent honourable young man handed it into the post office in Ballydeheen so please Thank the young man and the post office for minding the purse, says Anne. Well done. Don't you love to see decent, honest people out there? And well done to that, as Anne puts it. Very decent, honourable young man. Saw the purse straight into the post office and handed it in. Uh, well done. And the, they're a great gang in the post office in Ballydeheen looking after the purse uh, for Anne. Going to take a break. We're back with Annalise after these. Nick Richards. Weekday afternoons from 1. C103. Niall, how big a fan of Hall & Oates are you? I'm from Cork. I live in New York. And when I saw they were playing down here, I booked my vacation for this. We're from Australia. What do you think of Cork? It's great. We can't understand a word anybody says, but <laughs> it's fantastic. You travel quite a distance to be here. Sydney via Cork. <laughs> <laughs> Were you here the year when the roof blew off? What happened was the bar was closed because the roof blew off. That's something you'd always remember. Join me weekday afternoons from 1. C103. C103 is online everywhere. We'll keep you up to date with everything happening across Cork. Follow us on Facebook. Simply search for C103. Join us on Twitter. Search for our handle at C103 Cork. And for photos and vids, find us on Instagram at C103 Cork. Connect with us on social today at C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. The burst water main that's going to affect supply to St. Joseph's Road area of Mallow and the surrounding areas until 5pm today. Irish Water and Cork County Council though working to get that sorted out. I mentioned Anne and the, her purse that was found and by the very decent honourable young man who handed it in to the post office in Ballydeheen. Well El- Ellen was on lots of honest people around to say a big thank you to the person that found my purse yesterday in Donnerell Park and also handed it in. Well done. It's great to see such honest people are around. Thank you for that. Okay, Annalise Drissel of the Health Hub Times Square in Balancholic joining us. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon. And you are very welcome to the programme and let us get straight into uh, questions, please. And this was one that came last week and I promised I'd hold it and I would start the programme with it this week. Uh, My husband has recently been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Is there any natural products that I could give him that might help? Yes, um, Patricia, there there are really. Um, I think with Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's is an interesting one because it's not um, it's not the same as senile dementia. Alzheimer's is a specific uh, dementia that is down to damage to proteins in a particular area of the brain. Um, these are called tau proteins. And there's lots of theories as to why do these form. I mean, obviously, there must be a genetic link somewhere because it does tend to run in families. But I do think as well that proteins are often damaged um you know, in, with diabetes and with high levels of insulin and high levels of blood sugar. Um, and there is a theory, uh, there is a group of people who theorise that Alzheimer's 
is um, they should be called type 3 diabetes. So there is a big link with diet in the development of it. So the type of diet that would be best to follow would be something that would be very low in sugar and simple carbohydrates. Now, simple carbohydrates are the ones that are digested rapidly because all the fiber has been taken out of them. So you're looking at your white rice, your white pasta, um, your, your all the obviously sweetie foods like biscuits and chocolate and cakes and um you know, big amounts of mashed potato, anything that where you're missing the skins and the fibres. So a diet that would be very high then in uh, vegetables, not so much the sugars. Again, like fruit sugar still carries vitamins and minerals with it, but it still is sugar ultimately. And I always think two pieces a day is a good guideline, is plenty. Uh, so at least eight to ten portions of vegetables. So vegetables will be full of the vitamins and minerals that we need for a healthy brain. The B vitamins are hugely important, Patricia. Um, they're important for any, any anything to do with our nervous system as well as our energy pathways, but key for our our, um, our nervous system function. So um, a B supplement would be a good one to take in this case as well. The other thing that's very protective of the brain are the omega-3 fats. Now we find those mostly in oily fish, but you can also get them in vegetarian sources like linseeds, pumpkin seeds, walnuts. Um, green leafy vegetables will have some omega-3s and will have B vitamins. So at least two to three portions of those foods in the diet a day. But I think if somebody is suffering from Alzheimer's already, I would definitely take a high-dose fish oil supplement. And you're probably looking at two to three grams of your omega-3s, which are your EPA and DHA. So there are a couple of brands that are very high-quality you might only get one gram even in those. You'd want to be trebling up on that type of a dose. But your local health shop will be able to tell you what the difference is between 1,000 milligrams of fish oil and 1,000 milligrams of the omega-3s. And the DHA omega-3 is particularly good for brain as well. So look for a pregnancy supplement because they typically will be higher in the DHA for development of the fetal nervous system and brain. Okay, all right, loads of loads of information there, and good luck. It's a it's a long, long journey to be on, and it's and it's very difficult for the carer as well. So make sure that you're looking after yourself uh, as well. Okay, Mary Mitchell was on to say, what does Annalise think of Rodelia as a natural herb? Yeah, that um, it's, a, it's one of my favourite herbs, Patricia Rhodiola. Um, rhodiola, sorry, it, rhodiola. Yeah. Said. yeah, I think, and it's one of my favourite herbs. I always think of rhodiola as a kind elderly aunt who you really don't realise how <laughs> important was in your life until yeah. she's gone. So it's a great herb for stress, um, for when your life is very busy and very stressful and you're finding it um, difficult to cope. It's very gentle, so it's not an overnight thing. You probably need to be taking it for four to six weeks. But my customers who take it regularly would say they'd notice if they go without for three days, they miss it already. So a brilliant herb for stress. It's very, very gentle. It's one of the herbs that they call an adaptogen. So an adaptogenic herb is one that will help balance your hormones regardless. So sometimes when you're very stressed, you're pumping out the stress hormone cortisol. Um, possibly at the wrong time. So it might be high at night time. It's very common to get a second wind at night um, and find it very difficult to sleep. So it's that tired and wired feeling. And then it's very common to have not enough cortisol when you wake up in the morning to get you up and going so you feel wrecked. The rhodiola is a lovely one to bring it back into balance. It'll bring it down at night when it needs to be low and it'll help raise it in the morning when it needs to be high. Okay, another question in. Hi, Annalise. Um how do you find out if you are a celiac or not? How are you tested for it? So 
it used to be that they would just look for the antibodies in your blood, Patricia, but now they tend to biopsy people, which means they send you in for an expensive procedure um, to look and see, have you, um, you know, have you developed the uh, autoimmune disease in your gut? But I mean, the, the antibody test in blood is fairly reliable and it's the old way of doing it. But I think we've spoken about this many times on the programme. I do have a theory that like, celiac is the disease that you develop when you're exposed to gluten. And I think in Ireland, genetically, we don't do well with gluten. So I believe an awful lot of people are gluten intolerant. They may go on to develop celiac disease later in life. But the gluten intolerance is probably at the core of their IBS or their digestive problems. But when they get tested and told that they're not celiac, it's never considered that gluten is still a problem, even though they haven't developed full-blown disease. So I just think for people, cut out gluten for a period of a couple of weeks. Um, be religious about it. You know, make sure that it's in nothing. So take a full break from it for two weeks. And if you feel better during that two weeks, um, then you put it back in. And if you feel worse when you're on it, um, and then you, you will know, know you, just don't you do know well fairly it. quickly. You will know you fairly, fairly yeah. quickly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I gave up gluten a number of years ago and I have to say the difference is, is, is incredible. And if I, I can tolerate small amounts, but if I go over that small amount, I'll, I'll, I'll know about it. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think, you see, because it's not an exact yes or no like celiac disease, um, it's not really taken seriously. And I do think that people will have various levels of tolerance and intolerance. So some people might be able, like yourself, to have it the odd time and some people might be able to have a little bit of it every day. And some people might be able to have it more than once a week. So it's mm. about knowing your own body yep, and yep, figuring that's it out. It. Um, hi, Annalise. What would help with varicose veins? And how can one try to prevent them appearing? So varic- actually, it's a nice common one that comes into the shop, Patricia, because there's often very, um, a very big improvement by following natural methods. So varicose veins, again, genetic, but also people will develop them if they spend a lot of time standing. Hairdressers. Um, work or whatever. Isn't hairdressers are notorious, yeah. Exactly, and it's all the time spent on their feet. So surgery is very effective, Patricia, but for a lot of people, they come back. So the natural remedies are horse chestnut mainly is the natural remedy. Now, I'm also a big fan of vitamin C and hawthorn because they are wonderful for keeping your veins, the actual... Um, the cells that make up your veins and your arteries and your capillaries, they're great for keeping them flexible and healthy. But a horse chestnut would be the typical um, natural remedy. And you can take it or you can buy it as a gel. The gel is blissful because if you put it into the fridge and you've got hot, achy eggs with legs when you come home from work and you put it on, it's very, very soothing. And Dr. Delish Clare also does a Venatone cream, V-E-N-A-T-O-N-E, cream that has horse chestnut amongst other things in there as well and it's very very effective so you can do plenty to prevent them reoccurring again Hi Annalise could you recommend something for somebody who's just tired and in bad form nothing wrong physically or mentally but just tired and very low mood Okay, so, see, I suppose there's a couple of different reasons that you could be tired, Patricia. And I think if you're tired and exhausted, you will, of course, be in low mood. So is it down to a lack of sleep? Is it down to stress? Is it down to, like, you know, post-viral fatigue? Has this person been very unwell? Um, Or is it down to hormonal issues? Is it possibly menopausal or um, coming up to periods that it happens? So every one of those will probably have a different... um, Oh, actually, the other thing I should mention as well is that it's very common to be deficient in B12 and iron. So that will be the most um, common reason. So get the bloods tested to make sure that they're not low. 
So a good supplement, I think, to boost everybody in all of those circumstances is the Source of Life Gold, that liquid, the one I call the gold juice. It's brilliant as a tonic. There's a bit of ginseng in it, so you'll get an immediate burst and a kick of energy. Um, so I think something like that is probably the best. Rhodiola and ashwagandha, those two herbs, rhodiola is the one we spoke about earlier. Ashwagandha is spelled A-S-H-W-A-G-H-A-N-D-A. And they're both lovely herbs for kind of stress-related tiredness. Um, Again, you won't get an immediate kick from them, but you will notice by the end of the month that the mood has hugely improved. Great. Margaret says, hi, I was recently diagnosed with diverticulitis. What should I be eating and not eating? So this is where there's, um, in the co- the colon is made up of a kind of elasticy um, cells um, because it needs to expand and contract. So it's, this is, a diverticulosis is where these little pouches kind of blow out in that elastic material and food matter can get stuck in there and then can become infected. And that's when it's called diverticulitis, where there's the inflammation and infection. So in terms of um, diet-wise, it's important that you, are, are regular so that you're having a bowel movement at least once a day and avoiding constipation. Um, so any foods that would help with that, soluble fibre is one of the most important type of fibre. Like we often think of bran, but actually bran is quite, uh, we, we don't digest it at all and it can get uh, fermented by the bacteria in our gut. So for some people it just won't work, you know, and it'll be too, it'll be too harsh. So soluble fibre is a lovely fibre and you can get that in things like pears, apples, oats, Kiwis are wonderful. Rhubarb is great to keep you going as well. It's brilliant to keep you regular. And the rhubarb at the moment, it's in season, it's just delicious. So um, have that on your porridge every morning and you're getting great soluble fibre with the porridge oats and with the rhubarb. Then the foods to avoid would be, they say nuts and seeds because if they aren't properly digested, um, they're more likely to get stuck in those pouches. So if you are eating nuts and seeds, I would advise grinding them to quite a smooth, um, you know, to quite a smooth consistency. And other than that, really, there's nothing much else that you need to avoid. Okay. And the two herbs that you mentioned, can they both be taken together? Carla they can. In actual fact, um, some of the some of the um, supplements that you'll see in the health shop will actually have a combination of a few different herbs that would be um, for stress-related conditions. So one um, company, Viridian, they do an enhanced rhodiola complex. Now, unfortunately, we haven't been able to get that for a couple of months. I think some of the herbs are in short supply at the moment. But if they have that in your local health shop from Old Stock, that's a wonderful one. And there's another company called Together, and they do a stress complex, and that will be a combination of all those herbs in Together. And just while I'm talking about... um, Stress, Patricia, and just this is another thing as well that came to my mind for Alzheimer's that I'm seeing great, I'm getting great feedback on, is the cannabis oil. Because a lot of time when people develop Alzheimer's, they get very anxious and agitated. So the cannabis oil is wonderful for helping to relax and calm. And it is great for carers as well. It's not going to reverse Alzheimer's, but it'll certainly make it more, um, you know, it'll make people more manageable and less likely to get agitated and wander, etc. Okay, well done. Okay, question in from, hi, good afternoon, Patricia. Question for Annalise. What would Annalise recommend for bloating in a lady? Nothing to do with the monthly cycles, I think, but it's after meals, that's from uh, Eileen. Could that be the gluten? Okay. Could be the gluten. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be a number of different things. Like bloating is a build-up of gas, so something is fermenting. Um, so that could be down to, you know, that you're not digesting it, like gluten. Um, it could be that there's an imbalance of uh, bacteria in your gut that are causing the problem. Um, 
and it could be just the kind of foods that you're eating as well. So probably the first thing I would recommend is taking a digestive enzyme. The digestive enzymes are excellent. They're, they've gotten very sophisticated. So there's ones that will suit people who have got too little stomach acid and find it hard to digest fats and proteins. There's ones that are better for people who find they get more bloated and windy after carbohydrates. So your health shop will be able to um, recommend a good one that's suitable for your symptoms. So that's the first one to try. Um, a probiotic is always good as well to help rebalance the gut flora in your gut because the healthy bacteria you'll have a bit of wind. It's normal, Patricia, that everyone has a bit of wind, but you don't get that very bloated, solid stomach feeling if the good bacteria are going on well. So the two of those things together even would work well if you'd be covering all your bases. Okay, which is just to work out what, because some food might cause the bloating and others mightn't. So a food diary is always good, isn't it, to work out what is causing the bloating? Absolutely. The only thing sometimes, though, Patricia, is that the bloating can occur for four to six hours nearly afterwards. Yeah. Um, and this always brings to mind um, a client of mine who we had taken off gluten and put on gluten-free porridge oats and still the bloating was occurring. And actually, it was nothing to do with the gluten. It was to do with the porridge oats themselves. Ah. So it's just, you'll never know what it is that's causing the problem. The, the, the main um, culprits tend to be things like gluten, eggs, dairy. Um, but oats are quite common as well. A lot of people don't tolerate oats well. And then no two people are ever going to be the same. All right, uh, Annalise, thank you for that. Won't be with you next week because it's the bank holiday, so we'll talk in two weeks' time. Thanks. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you for that. That is Annalise Drussell of the Health Hub Times Square in Ballincollig. And just to let you know, everything that's been recommended by Annalise today goes up on our podcast following the show. So you can listen back on c103.ie or on the C103 app. Just go to the menu section and uh, choose podcasts because always on a Monday after Annalise's slot, we get inundated with people saying, what did she say for this? What did she say for that? And the rest of it is to just have it up there on the uh, podcast. Now, also, before I let you go, I wanted to give a quick mention to Cork County Council have been on. They are warning people to beware of bogus waste collectors. The council say you can report bogus waste collectors to 021 4285417. If someone calls to your door and offers to dispose of your rubbish, Usually it's at a knockdown price as well. You need to get suspicious if anybody's taking any kind of rubbish, be it domestic rubbish or skips or whatever it is, whatever kind of builder's waste, whatever they're taking from your house, you need to find out where the rubbish is ending up because a lot of that ends up in fly tipping if it's a bogus waste collector. And if it's domestic rubbish they take from your house, it could come back to haunt you because you could have something in the rubbish that will lead the uh, the traffic, the litter wardens back to you so be very careful of that as well but if you know of any bogus waste collectors please collect them and Kevin says when you talk about dog fouling what about the foxes and the badgers they're fouling everywhere a lot of them in housing estates in Duhallow try catch a fox and put a nappy on them that's where I leave you for today thanks to John Paul talk tomorrow Martina O'Donoghue make C103 part of your drive home with up to date traffic information and local news your input in selecting our feel good song of the day plus our feel good story and as many of Cork's greatest hits that we can fit into three hours. Join me, Martina O'Donoghue, every weekday from 4 to 7. C103. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.